it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
Brzezinski model, the technocrat model, is much more interested in the incremental. All right, welcome. David, can you hear me? Can you, can you hear me? Yes, I can. We are live. Perfect. Yep, glad to have you back on, my friend. Um, oh, well, thanks for having me, brother. Sorry, it's been a while. That wasn't intentional. No, don't worry about it. I know how it is trying to make content all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it becomes a uh, never-ending thing. It consumes the whole day and all your life. So, <laughs> yeah, it uh, yeah, it's a hamster wheel. You're definitely run, it is running on continuously. All right. Well, we uh, decided to cover a book that uh, I, this was actually one of the first books I read when I uh, started looking into orthodoxy in about 2007. Um, I read this and I read uh, Dr. Sherard's book, uh, Greek, East, Latin, West. Both of those books have their merits. Uh, I think Lasky's book is superior. I would not recommend uh, Sherard, not because he doesn't have insights, but um, the later period of Sherard gets really into perennialism, unfortunately, even though Sherard does have some great texts like uh, Greek East Latin West and uh, Church Papacy Schism. Those are both good books worth reading. However, um, we get more of a solid orthodoxy out of Vladimir Lossky. And so um, just my initial statement out from the outset is just to say that um, rereading this book 10 years later, 13 years later, I guess, uh, I have a lot better understanding of what he was saying. I was kind of new to the concepts in 2006, seven. So, um, I didn't really know all the implications of the Logi and the energies and creation being triadic. And, uh, I, I was new to those ideas. So it, it introduced me to it. It was starting to click around that time rereading it however uh i see how clear it is really reinforcing all of the apologetic points all of the contra protestant contra roman catholic points that i've been making in the last few years um really heavily breathe the spirit of saint maximus of gregory palamas uh and what Lasky does is much like father staniloy much like jean-claude larcher much like Father Florovsky, they uh, remain faithful to the Palamite interpretation. Uh, this would be the Palamite interpretation of the Eastern Fathers, uh, uh, of Maximus, of Dionysius the Areopagite, because you will get in the West a Thomistic reading uh, of, of Dionysius. And so I just want to lay that out that with those 20th century guys, we have a, a consistent presentation of what orthodoxy is. And I think that really Lasky is going to be one of those key voices in that, that milieu that will back up this interpretation because a lot of people in today, in today are going to say, Oh, orthodoxy can be combined with Roman Catholicism. Orthodoxy is just a palimism is just one flavor amongst all of these different ideas of orthodoxy and really that's not true and so even though uh, i'm almost done even though Lasky's not perfect in his theology he has some error, uh, errors uh, that i think are a little off i critique that uh, in my book uh, when i did the analysis last year of his uh, recently released dogmatic theology which is another compliment to this book i would say this book comes first dogmatic theology is a little more uh, difficult a little more in depth but again um, 
definitely this is a, a thing to come back to and to chew on. Um, and it's a great introduction to Orthodox theology uh, after reflecting on this 10 years, 13 years later. What are your initial thoughts before we get into it, David? Uh, well, I would agree that I do. Th- I love how he, well, chapter two, technically, um, but he begins with the sort of apophatic, cataphatic distinction. And that apophaticism, which he's emphasizing, really leads you into understanding the energy essence distinction, which he's going to get into two chapters later. And really the chapter on the uncreated energies is like a dire hits. He goes, you know, palamism isn't, uh, you know, energy essence isn't palamism. It's orthodoxy. Um, he gets into absolute divine simplicity. He gets into pure act and how that puts limitations on the essence of God. So it's uh, that third or fourth chapter. It's like it hits on a lot of things that I heard you talk about when I first started getting into orthodoxy. And so um, it, I, I really enjoyed it. I had read bits and pieces of it. And then you said, hey, let's read this. You have this book. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, well, geez, I don't want Dyer to start running circles around me. So I better reread the whole damn thing. <laughs> well, you actually beat me because uh, I'm only halfway through my second reading. So you're ahead of me. So what we decided to do was to split this up. And then we'll do the second part uh, either on my channel or over on your channel in the next day or two. I've got so much stuff that I'm trying to get through. Um, I do have planned, by the way, for everybody, uh, discussions on the Ambigua. So we will go through the entirety of the Ambigua in the near future. Um, We're going to go through uh, Volume 1 of Steineloy's Experience of God. And again, we're going to see that Steineloy and Lossky are very much on the same page. If you do make it through Mystical Theology by Lossky, I would say then move on to his book, Dogmatic Theology. And I have a whole talk three-hour talk that accompanies his dogmatic theology. Um, and then maybe if you want to, uh, people who are interested in these topics, progress on to the um, the Aristotle East and West book by Bradshaw. And some of what we're going to be talking about tonight will relate also to the very difficult, this is probably the most advanced text. I would not recommend anybody start with this text because you're going to find it super difficult. Uh, it's the most advanced treatment of orthodox stuff i've ever seen and it's tolefson's book on the cosmology of saint maximus the whole book is just on the logi so it's one of the uh the 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 classic well-known works on the logi of course the byzantine christ by bathrelos will relate to this as well and also vesha's book on the person of christ the theology of uh emperor justin saint justinian so uh those are good uh, compen- uh, uh, correlated works again the Lossky book Dogmatic Theology that was recently released will be the most relevant to what we're going to talk about today and also the Steineloy volume 1 so if we get into this um, now we both uh, looked at Dionysius and Lossky's going to begin here talking about the divine darkness and the notion of apophatic theology this is where we start because in our view, the, the God that's revealed to us is a God who chooses to reveal himself to us. It's not a God that we go out and speculate when we look at nature and we say, hmm, let's, let's sit back in armchairs and let's read Plato and Aristotle and let's see what kind of a God we could come up with as a concept. Rather, that Hellenic notion is contrasted to the Hebraic notion of a God who is self-revelatory, precisely because he infinitely transcends created being. 
what do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I loved on page 27 where he talks about apophaticism as a sort of catharsis. And it's a sort of purging ourselves and a, a purifying ourselves so we don't create idols and concepts of God and begin to worship those as we see in Hellenism, as even we see in the Hebraic tradition with the, what he calls the, the monarchy, mm-hmm. uh, the emphasis on, on, on the single, the monad. So not in the same sense of, of Neoplatonism, but that, that sort of monarchical emphasis. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved it because it lead, he uses that apophatic approach through the rest of the chapters. Well, now, uh, and, and part of the reason for this is that he was the student, the stu- student, uh, I'm, think, I'm thinking student because Etienne, or he is the student of Etienne Gilson, the famous uh, uh, Thomist medieval scholar. And Gilson, of course, was faithful to Aquinas and uh, Lasky, of course, departed from that. Uh, he did not accept that uh, being orthodox. He, of course, re- maintained the Palamite, which is really just orthodox understanding of Dionysius. And so really we have to start with Dionysius when we look at essence and energy, when we look at the Logi, when we look at the what he calls the divine processions. When Dionysius calls them the divine processions, he means the exact same thing as the energies, as the Logi. He identifies the Logi as energies, as Dr. Bradshaw says. So, and I love how he takes Dionysius back from the Platonist, uh, because that's a common thing. You even exactly. hear it, I think, I've, I've heard it amongst Orthodox talking. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With uh, Dionysius having Platonizing elements, and then he really purges that again through the apophaticism because the beginning approach is going to be revealed. It's going to be through revelation. It's not going to be natural theology it's not going to be about the philosophical tradition of hellenism and so even though he talks about the language about the aristotelian concepts the platonic concepts the language that he's using um it's in a totally different approach and understanding of what god is yeah he will later say uh in the third or fourth chapter that there's a transformation of the terminology this is something that Father Deacon, Dr. Ananias, and I have discussed in pretty much every talk that we've done. I mean, we've done multiple streams where we discuss the terms and the concepts and how they are transformed. They're not a one-to-one correspondence between the way it's used, for example, in, you know, when Plotinus talks about hypostasis, right? Or when uh, the Stoics speak of logos, it's not the logos spermaticos is not even the same thing as what the logi are. And I would say that's actually, it's very nuance but that's one of the first things Tolleson covers in his book he says look let's dive into the terminology and the different 
schools and influences that Maximus can freely pull from without adopting wholesale the boxed-in definitional ideas from any of those systems. So Maximus can pull ideas from Aristotle. He can pull ideas from the Neoplatonists. He can utilize the Logi doctrine, which is a Neoplatonic idea. However, uh, one could, of course, debate whether that originates in the Neoplatonists or Platonists uh, uh, or Plato or whether you want to go back to Hebraic tradition. The point is rather that uh, it doesn't matter because truth is truth wherever it's found. And we can purge things of the false ideas. We can pull from all these systems, which is why Maximus can use, for example, the Porphyrian tree, right? The the transcendental Mm -hmm. categories of Aristotle. He can, uh, transcendentals, by the way, are not the same thing as transcendental arguments. He can pull these things uh, and redefine in a new way. And that's the first thing that Tolson deals with in his chapter on the Logi is that uh, when we have this Porphyrian tree, which is from the Isagogy. You'll notice there that you see the, the different mm-hmm. categories of being and structures of the created world. They're very similar to Aristotle's categories. But, for example, he will kind of chart this out like uh, at the beginning you have substance and then substance is divided into, I think it's corporeal and incorporeal. The corporeal are divided into animate and inanimate. The animate is divided into sensitive animal corporeal and insensitive animal corporeal. The, ins- the, the sensitive is d- divided into rational animal and irrational animal. Very similar to the kind of kingdom phylum structure of, of Aristotle, this kind of stuff. But the most important thing that we want to understand that Lossky will bring up, and I'm not trying to go off, off key here, but it relates to Dionysius because what do we say to the people who always claim oh it's this is neoplatonism this is neoplatonism well all of tolson's chapter uh two is dedicated to refuting and showing how maximus is uh decimating basically the neoplatonic presuppositions why would that be why would that be well all of the ambigua are actually written to refute originism right so the totality of the ambigua is refuting the neoplatonic mistakes of origin and origin's influence in the history of the church. So there's three points that he says against the Neoplatonists. This is uh, pages 55 through 63. Creation is a real potentiality in God. It's not something that God necessarily had to do. So there is a dunamis potentiality in God that God doesn't have to bring to actuality. That alone shows that we don't believe in actus purus. The essence-energy distinction in St. Maximus, according to Tolosan, is directly connected to the belief that God possesses free will. His will is not identified in the sense of its actions with its essence. Otherwise, God's will would be determined. Hence, no ADS. Thirdly, the essence of God transcends all created categories and relations. And so, therefore, the Logi as thought wills are proven to be connected to the doctrine of ex nihilo creation that God freely does. So what so what Plotinus does, where he has Logi be these kind of the necessary emanations, Maximus transforms those to being inhypostatized in the sense that the created order, the Logi, come to us as a in a personal way by the will of Christ, not by the essence of God. And hence why the divine inner the, the divine ideas, the, the Logi as 
Lasky will say in his whole chapter on created being are not identical to the essence of God as Augustine and the Latin tradition would do, uh, particularly Aquinas as well. Anyway, so that's why we have to understand that we are not wholesale adopting some Neoplatonic scheme out of Dionysius, even though Dionysius does have elements that are Neoplatonic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, uh, reading this, I it left me pondering a question in regards to your own perspective on the idea of like apocatastasis and the recapitulation and how that relates to individual will, because it seems like, and, you know, I, I asking you to correct me where I'm wrong, that um, if hell isn't eternal, so giving more of the sort of originistic view, which I've heard people talk about online, that is a sort of negation of free will. And that being the central feature of us being made in the image of God, uh, I don't know, I see a major contradiction there. It seems like that hell, given that these angelic entities are refusing, uh, you know, evil has a negative existence. It's just the lack of following God's will that have a positive existence in and of itself. It happened within eternity. And then us being made in the image of God, I think this is in chapter five or six. Um, It left me thinking just how I've heard other people talk about the recapitulation. And it just seems like it starts to take a sort of Neoplatonic framework that if everything's going to end up back in the logos, well, it doesn't seem like individual free will matters a whole lot because it's all going to end up back in the logos. And so I've heard that this is a sort of debate within orthodoxy. And I was just curious where you stand, how, how, how you understand all this, because it seemed like there's there a contradiction there. And I'm just trying to wrap my mind around human free will and then the eternality or the lack of the eternality of hell itself. Yeah, so uh, Ambiguo in 41 will mention the recapitulation. Uh, that, so 41 is really difficult because it's, it's the one where he mentions recapitulation of even the universals. So it's, it's one of the most difficult of the uh, Ambiguo 42 is difficult as well. Let's see. So I've got all these marked. Let me tell you where the other... If, if a person does want to read Maximus himself on... Mm-hmm. what he says about recapitulation um i've got so many notes like i've got notes on every page so it's like trying to flip through and find my uh recapitulation statements by the way i just posted the other day a quote from um the presently almost done translation of uh saint gregory Palamas apodictic treatise on the spirit so we uh, father hears is about to release that uh, my friend father moody has uh, translated that text, which Mayendorf mentions in passing uh, in a couple places. I mean, he has some good quotes in Study of Palamas, Mayendorf's book, from that untranslated work. So we know that the approach that um, Father Moody is taking is correct because it's anti-Latin in its approach. But point being is that uh, Palamas mentions the recapitulation as well. Uh, St. Cyril of Alexandria, of course, teaches recapitulation. Let's see. I just want to make sure I've got now. I think Ambiguan 10 also mentions recapitulation. Uh, it's first mentioned, of course, by, well, we would say Paul, but it's mentioned by um, Irenaeus in the, the 
and against heresies. Mm-hmm. So recapitulation is not necessarily the same thing as apocatastasis because Origen has a view that, uh, because his view of simplicity and his view of the human will, um, he thinks that the will is determined dialectically on the basis of moving out of a place of perfect stasis into change. So mm-hmm. he sees the fall of man as uh, being in a, uh, a state of perfect stasis and then uh, moving into a state of change and becoming. Uh, and then that leads to being put into the garden. We don't believe that. <laughs> that's crazy. Right. Uh, that's condemned, of course, in the Confession of St. Sophronius. So Maximus is going to partly be refuting that. Uh, and so because of the Platonic principle that that Origen has in terms of the divine ideas, mm-hmm. uh, Maximus has to stress and explain how the divine ideas are intergay, how they're logi, and they're not identical to the essence of God. They are thought wills um, and not... Uh, determined uh, cause uh, ideal causes themselves, right? Because if they were ideal causes, we would be Platonists. So when we come to recapitulation in terms of Maximus' conception of the eschaton, one of the the great things that he does to really clarify this is to utilize his anthropology and his distinction between nature and person, between uh, existence in itself or nature in itself or hypostasis in itself and the mode of existence, the mode of nature the mode of hypostasis so these things are all distinguished in maximus so that he can explain how there will be a universal restoration of the whole cosmos right and so the whole cosmos will in different ways and in different modes participate in god so the saints will participate in god in a unique way uh, through theosis that plants and animals will not even though we can speak of them as being transfigured obviously a plant is not going to be participating right in uh, uh, theosis in the same way that we will, because we become uh, sons of God, right? We, we don't just become gods. We're actually participating in sonship and hence why our theosis is also in hypostatic. It's also personal. It's all, it relates to the, the, to the triad, to each person of the triad. So in the eschaton, and, and David the Real Mad White did a really good video on showing how the Fordham universalist types, the originist promoters, what they're doing with Maximus is, yeah, they're, they're taking, they're not grasping the distinction between nature and person and how it's used in Maximus in terms of mode, uh, the thing in itself and the mode of willing. Uh, or this, this is where Maximus comes up with gnomic will, for example, uh, in terms right. of his, I was going to ask you yep. how that, how this related to gnomic will. Yep. Um, so, we, so the, so the, so in other words, uh, so gnomic will is the, uh, it's used in different senses, but it's strictly speaking, it just means the mode of willing proper to a created hypostasis. Right. So this is one reason why, of course, Christ in the incarnation doesn't possess a doesn't created have, hypostasis yeah. because he would have a gnomic mode of willing if he did. Right. After the fall, it's used mostly in Maximus's arguments and apologetic for the mode of willing proper to fallen humans, proper to the falling, okay. falling created hypostasis. So because Christ is a divine hypostasis, however, he doesn't possess that mode of willing. However, Maximus does in a couple places uh, uh, use it also of uh, the saints in the eschaton that we will 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He says, we will, he, we will unite our no me to the love of God. So we will still be willing. So how do we maintain free will in the eschaton? And one of the arguments is that uh, free will is not defined, like Origen said, dialectically as a choice between good and evil. It's a choice between multiple goods. And so therefore, we have to be able to actually choose and will different things in the eschaton to have free will. Well, how do we do that if, say, the Roman Catholic doctrine of beatific vision is true? It's it's impossible. So actually, the Roman Catholic beatific vision doctrine is closer to originism because mm-hmm. if you were to ask a Roman Catholic, well, what if I will something other than God? Well, you can't. Well, what if I did? Well, then you that would be falling away. That's the well, no, that's the originist conception, right? So uh, in the Maximian and uh, I mean Maximus is very clear that in the eschaton we will be willing the things around God, right? The right. things around God is used by Cappadocians. It's used by Mm-hmm. by Maximus, just to speak of the energies. And again, the Logi are energies. They're a different type of energy. They're not the same as the what are called the natural energies or natural attributes of God, such as God's eternal love and eternal glory. If they were the same, then creation would be eternal. It would be synonymous with God's eternal right. love and glory, which is ridiculous. Hence, they're mm-hmm. called thought wills, right? So they're also not created essences. And of course, Lossky points this out that this is a common mistake people make to identify the Logi with created essences. Uh, that's a mistake that sometimes uh, Platonists make, that uh, uh, Roman Catholics and Thomists make. Uh, that's because they don't have the essence energy distinction and they don't understand that right. they're Logi. This isn't even it's controver- so, the stuff I'm saying isn't so, even controversial, by the way. People are confused over this. It's not even controversial. Every Orthodox yeah. theologian will tell you this. And it's so obvious, you know, the beatific vision, you're talking about how Catholicism falls into a pattern much more consistent with originism. Right. And given the problems with natural theology, given with, you know, origin picking up the philosophical, the, pl- the platonic tradition. Right. It's kind, of, it's kind of inevitable, you know, that they fall into these same conclusions, these same patterns. So where are you then on the eternality? Oh, I'm sorry. Of, yeah, I forgot help. to address. I got to <laughs> Uh, no, so I forgot to address the, 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 the how we will be willing in, in the eschaton in terms of the righteous and the damned. 
So the restoration of universal nature does not mean that every single created hypostasis will be restored and participate in the same way and in the same mode. So your nature will be restored. That's the only basis for everybody being resurrected. But Uh the way that you, as an individual distinct hypostasis, utilize your natural mode of willing will determine your experience in the eschaton. So that are, it already the eschaton begins now. It begins in this life. We already begin to hate or love God, right? Right. Uh, when we move into the eschaton, when the resurrection occurs, that's we are all determined. We're all predestined to be resurrected, even the wicked, even the reprobate. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is ask a Calvinist or even a Roman Catholic, on what basis are the wicked resurrected? They, I mean, they, there's no reason. Well, but if you believe in recapitulation, you would know because Christ assumed human nature in a universal sense to recapitulate all human nature in his single divine hypostasis. This is common in the Eastern Fathers and Cappadocians. It's not even controversial. St. Cyril says it very clearly. So what happens then is that in the eschaton, your nature is restored, but the way that you will experience that restoration of nature is determined by you on the basis of how you utilize your unique mode of willing. So it will be ever ill will or ever uh, goodwill dependent upon your unique individual mode of willing in this life. So that's how Maximus answers this dilemma. And he says, not everybody is determined in their hypostasis to experience the same uh, uh, existential feeling of what's going to happen in the eschaton. We will all be experiencing the, the energies of God, but for some it will be torture because they hate God and they u- utilize their right. uh, unique hypostatic will um, in a bad way. And they didn't, right. what Maximus says, recapitulate the virtues in themselves oh. and res- and move back into harmony with their logi. Uh, if you don't do that, then you are out of order you're out of whack and the experience of the eschaton, which is the same, basically the river of fire is the same as the, the uh, river of life you see. Right. It's the same energy of God, but experienced existentially in different ways based on how you willed in this life, either practicing virtue, loving God or not. So that is not alterable in the eschaton. The only area of speculation that occurs that I could maybe see uh, granting some, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it infant limbo, but there, Nissa speculates that maybe at the end of the ages, there could be some kind of natural restoration of maybe infants who died or or something like this. Or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, he thinks that in the, in the aeons of, of, the eschaton that eventually at some point even the wicked will choose the good um but when florovsky comments on this he says that even that doesn't necessarily mean that they participate in theosis now i don't think that that's correct uh Nissus, oh, is this one of your criticisms of of Lossky from no no from no, this, no, no this has nothing to do with Lossky. i'm talking about oh you, you asked about saying, a pocket you, you of stasis Lossky was incorrect in what he was saying no 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 no. I, this is not about Lossky. so you asked about a pocket of stasis and i'm saying right right um so the the main area that this comes from is Nyssa, right? So right. St. Gregory Nyssa speculated, because he was very influenced by origin, he speculated that in the eschaton, if beings do retain their natural will, then possibly if they retain free will, at some point in this infinite future aeon, they could choose the good. Mm-hmm. 
but you can't participate in theosis, right? So Florovsky has a chapter where he, I think, solves this dilemma by saying that perhaps Nyssa is saying that they will choose the good in, in terms of natural goods, but they can't participate in theosis proper because that's only right. for the saints and the church. Now, I don't think that that's true. I'm saying that I think Florovsky has the correct analysis of what Nyssa is trying to say. But we know that Maximus and these other people aren't teaching universalism, you see. Right. So what mm-hmm. people like David Bentley Hart will do is they'll go to this and they'll say, ah, you see, universal, he's teaching universalism. Everybody's going to be saved. Without looking into the nuance of the fact that, well, Maximus is actually disagreeing with this. He's rejecting these ideas and mistakes. Nyssa is speculating. And yes, maybe a couple other people like uh, St. Isaac the Syrian speculated like St. Gregory Nyssa did. But even their speculations mm. are not necessarily declarations that everybody saved. It's No, it's not. Because we know that not everybody will participate in theosis. So I'm just saying that it's more nuanced than the foreign people want to make it. It's not about was Origin a good guy or a bad guy. It gets into, I mean, I think he was a heretic, right? So it gets into right. the nuances of how Maximus spends all these ambiguous refuting the originist errors. Um, I think Lasky is correct. I don't think Lasky makes it, these mistakes. I don't think he teaches. I mean, he seems to, uh, in multiple play in dogmatic theology, he says that he thinks Maximus corrected mistakes in Nyssa. Right. That's what it seemed like he was saying with the, um, how does he say the, I forget which word. It's almost like the indestructibility of free will or something like that. The sort of eternality of, of will of free will in terms of being made in the image of God. And so it seems like, just like you're saying that he would be more in line with Maximus, the confessor, but I've just been here. I've just been seeing, you know, again, just like the toll houses, there's so much more um, complexity within Mm -hmm. orthodoxy than I was aware of. You know, one of the mantras we always say is that it's a, you know, we have all these different churches, but we have a unified theology. And then, you know, since, you know, after about a year and a half of actually being Orthodox or at least going to church, I'm still a catechumen, but I see, wow, there's a lot more controversies within the church than I was aware of. And um, it seems like what you're talking about with Max, that like logically can, that has to be the case. All right. So Maximus has a version of the apocatastasis that is not originism, that is recapitulation, but still has a place for the individual uh, created will choosing its the way that it will experience the eschaton. And he does not, I don't think, I'm not aware of any place where Maximus believes that the unrighteous can be saved in the eschaton. I've never heard anything like that. I don't mm-hmm. think he says that. Again, I'm just trying to illustrate that it's actually St. Gregory Nyssa that people like David Bentley Hart or whoever else wants to defend universalism. I, I think Ware even kind of speculates on this a little bit. But do you bit. see he just came out in, pro, in favor of homosexuality? I had seen him make a Callisto statement Swear. like a year or two ago about that. But, okay. but I always, Well, he just made a recent statement. I didn't say a recent statement. So it was, it was uh, it's out there. I mean, it's... Well, it's I'm not official. surprised. I mean, he was... Uh, I was suspicious of him 10 years ago as part of the reason I didn't become Orthodox 10 years ago was <laughs> I was suspicious of these people. Anyway... Um, so, so yeah, so I'm sorry for, uh, hopefully that's helpful. No, no, that was, that was a great explanation. Uh, no, I, I appreciate that. So that, that, that seemed what in my mind that seemed it had to be the case. And when I see, I've just been doing some reading and I've seen Orthodox people that are probably Fortimites. I wasn't sure. 
I'm not sure, you know, what their credentials or stuff, we're just reading articles and stuff online. And it's like, geez, well, if the recapitulation, if the apocatastasis is going to all be back in the logos, it just seemed right. like there was a negation yeah. here of, of will. And it seemed like, well, that right. can't be it. That, that's Neoplatonism. It's totally taking the same framework, the same architecture. Every one of the uh, struggles that I'm not trying to be arrogant, that you, I had the same struggle. So there was a period <laughs> where I had the wrestled with this issue and I'd read Nyssa and I thought, well, maybe the universalist idea is right, maybe. But I didn't understand the nuances that Maximus later introduces to resolve mm-hmm. this relating to uh, gnomic will. Uh, and and how even in the eschaton the distinction between nature and person is relevant, and also the fact that um, we we have the ability to uh, will multiple goods. So when evil is removed as a possibility for the righteous when they participate in uh, the fullness of theosis in the eschaton, uh, they don't lose free will. Right. They have the ability to will multiple things, which means that there has to be real multiplicity in God. There has to really be triadic hypostatic reality and many energies you see uh Mm -hmm. so uh well that was great you want to move on at least get back your our no but i'm glad to discuss that because those things come up a lot and hopefully that can be helpful to people who uh you know will have these same struggles right you know when they encounter Mm -hmm. these issues no, that was a that was a great explanation. So, did you have anything else that stuck out to you in the uh, apophatic chapter, divine darkness? Um, let's see. Here. I've I got tons of little page notes here. Um, Maybe we should mention apophatic and cataphatic because it's important to understand that we're not. Uh, this is a mistake a lot of Roman Catholics make when they hear about what we talk about. Um, they'll say, "Well, you guys don't believe in in apoph." Uh, cataphatic theology or saying anything positive about God. You just believe in negative theology. And so it's all mystical and you don't have any actual logic or theology. That's not true. Completely not true. What an ignorant thing to say. Well, I mean, you hear it all the time. It's, it's a common objection. Um, I mean, I heard it when I was new. In fact, when I was new to Orthodoxy and I was reading like the, the trad critiques or the, the former, uh, Lacaudus, who used to be Orthodox and went Roman Catholic, I remember he would say this: "Oh, they don't even do theology; it's just mysticism, and that's what they don't understand. Apophatic theology is, you know, all this stuff." Wow. Well, it seems like the apophaticism is, it's not that we don't say cataphatic statements. It's just that we have to make a distinction between creator and creation. Exactly. I mean, and you can only do that through apophaticism. So once we have delineated the distinction between creator and creation, Mm -hmm. Well, now we can still say positive things about God through his his thought wills, through the low boy, through these uncreated right. energies, through the ways in which he communicates to us. But his essence is still totally transcendent. It's behind the dark cloud of unknowing. And right. so go ahead. Look like you're going to say something. Well, there's a mistake here that uh, you, you may wrestle with. I don't know, but uh, some of the Orthodox are still wrestling with this uh i wrestled with this one for a long time because one of my friends was a big devotee of uh, father romanides uh now father romanides has some good insights he's not wrong about everything i'm not going to judge him personally but i will say that um, where i think he it took me many years to figure out what the problem was Uh, where he is incorrect is that he's pretty clear that there's no analogia at all there's nothing analogical between not just the essence of God, but even the energy. Since the energies are uncreated, there's no way that there can ever be any created analogia that's spoken or related to or uh, images uh, uh, 
the uncreated. But the problem with this becomes, well, number one, the church fathers constantly talk about analogia. It's everywhere. They mention it many, many times. The uh, common analogy of the church fathers of the father as the mind, the the son as the logos, the thought, and the 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 spirit being the breath, the wind, the the will, etc. These are common uh, triadic analogies that are used. Um, Analogia to the energies is the orthodox position, and this bothered me for a long time because I would Mm -hmm. read enough of the church fathers to know that they do they do uh, use analogy. Uh, Jesus uses analogy. He says that if your father on earth won't give you stones when you ask for bread, how much more does your father in heaven? That's an analogy between a human father and a heavenly father. Obviously, the term father. Now, it just makes me mad because it's so absurd for people to take issue with this. And they make the mistake of thinking that the problem of all uh, religion is analogy. That's uh, Romanides' idea, that all religion is erroneous because it's based on analogia. No, the problem with analogia is when you say, when you you predicate of the essence of God, right? So that's what Thomism does. Thomism says that we can cataphatically and apophatically predicate of the essence of God because of absolute divine. So that's the problem. Yep. And then Romanides says, well, the reason I reject this is because the Synodicon says that we can't believe in divine ideas. Well, I'm sorry, but all the Eastern Fathers teach the Logi. They teach that they are divine ideas. And every treatise on the Logi will tell you that they're divine ideas. So what? how do we reconcile this? Well, Maximus has reconciled it. The Logi are not the essence of God. They're energies. So yes, cre- creatures do match up to, they are analogous to their uncreated Logi. They're the, mm-hmm. pa- the Logi are the pattern. It's not going to be a pattern if there's no similarity or connection. That makes no sense. Right. Image archetype. This is constant uh, in Orthodox theology. So, by the way, many church fathers, even Palamas has no problem saying that the spirit is the love of the father and the son. However, that is not applicable to the hypostatic origin. It's applicable to the level of energetic manifestation. Yeah, Lasky talks about that in this book. Thank you. Exactly. So I'm sorry for all those rants. But uh, first thing I would say, the the really great, the, the Trinity chapter is phenomenal. I mean, uh, yeah, I wish that I could. I mean, he goes for in in twenty pages. He summarizes uh, Orthodox Trinitarian theology almost flawlessly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything in the Trinity chapter that I thought was even uh, questionable or at all. I mean, um, he he starts by saying that first of all, in the Trinity, there's no dialectics, no opposition. No contrast, because dialectics, dyad, contrast, opposition, those are things that relate to twos, twos. And so the triad transcends all dialectics and all dialectical oppositions because it's a trinity. <laughs> Wonder where he gets that. Where would we maybe get the idea that these idea, that this notion of multiplicity is applied to God? Maybe the uh, first ambigua, right? Monad, dyad, triad. Maximus argues that God overcomes the logical antinomies because he is triad. Also mm-hmm. in Ambigua 23. Yeah. So Maximus has no problem beginning with um, the notion of number, the notion of monad, dyad, triad, the notion of uh, the one and the many being used. I mean, Maximus probably 20 or 30 times uses the one and the many argument for the Trinity. Uh, and so does uh, Lasky because he's faithful to Maximus. 
Um, but this is a key point because, uh, uh, so in philosophy, you have this notion of antinomies. And these are just the, the, the apparent contradictions of things. So in created logic, we will have many instances where there are antinomies. In creation, there are antinomies. There's dialectical relations in creation. But we cannot read those things back into God, into the triad, because God is not a dyad. And he's also not created. So every time you've heard me say God transcends the logical order, God transcends created logic, that does not mean he contradicts himself. It means that he is beyond it. Created logic is based on the logi, but God himself transcends created logic. How do we know that? Because as he says, probably five times or maybe, no, it's like 10 times in this chapter and the next chapter, God yeah. transcends the logical antinomies. All that means yep. is that he's beyond, let's take the law of identity. Aristotle's law of identity, right? A, a single simple subject. Uh, a, a substance right it can only have the the identity that it has based on whatever its essence is um, that cannot be applied to god first of all because perichoresis the divine indwelling would make the law of identity impossible in the aristotelian sense aristotle would say that's a contradiction we mm -hmm. say it's not a contradiction because god transcends the logical antinomies right it's that right. simple good yeah on uh on 48, page 48, he's actually getting at that at the bottom about why the church has to defend the Trinity at all costs. You know, throughout history, this has always been attacked because, again, it, you know, the Trinity, as you mentioned, how it, um, I think he says, circumscribes the one and the many. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we, we. Yeah, Maximus says God is absolute one and absolute many. Yes. And, uh, it's just so beautiful. This, the, you know, this chapter, I really love this. And I really love the next one on the uncreated energies and uh, being made in the image uh, that th those were some of my favorite chapters, but like right here on 48, he says for the creature subject to change by nature can by grace attain to the state of eternal stability. As humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Can partake in infinite life 
in the light of the Trinity. This is why the church has defended so vehemently the mystery of the Holy Trinity against the natural tendencies of the human mind, which strive to sur suppress it by reducing the Trinity to unity and making it an essence of the philosophers, which the three modes of the manifestation of modalism or Sibelius, mm -hmm. uh, or even of dividing it into three distinct beings as did Arius. And then he goes into the, the Trinity of Plotinus, which in my mind, Catholicism with the filioque starts moving in that direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, uh, what stuck out to me immediately was page 46. He says the triad, now I have an older copy, so it might be the numbering might be different in okay. your copy, but he says the triad, triad overcomes all logical antinomies. And that's a quote from St. Gregory Nazianzus in Oration 11. I read all the orations uh, uh, 12 years ago, so I knew that the Cappadocians frequently utilized Nyssa, uh, uh, Nazianzus, Basil. They frequently utilized the one and the many argument. Um, and Lossky notes that here, right? He notes the uh, pr the movement from monad to dyad to triad. The 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 Cappadocians talk that, and when Mac talk about that, when Maximus utilizes monad, dyad, triad, he's getting it from the Cappadocians and how they are not Neoplatonists, right? They are uh, one of the unique things that the Cappadocians do is stress the priority of a person, hypostasis, personal subject uh, uh, over essence essentialism or nature so nature is the uh, person is what we know what we come to experience right the the mm -hmm. energies are in hypostatic palma says because we're mm -hmm. knowing a person who's interacting with us we're not directly knowing the essence of god even though those energies are proper to god's nature they're not identical to god's nature and they're not definitional of god's nature and so that's why lasky starts by saying that the trinity is a revealed dogma it's not a dogma of speculation and philosophy it's not a dogma that uh, comes to us on the basis of what uh, we think is logical or logical categories. And so we can't have a philosophical absolute divine simplicity, as he says uh, on page 48. And then he goes on to make a really important point that, again, I've stressed, we cannot have Thomistic natural theology with that being the case. You see, natural theology is connected to the, uh, the idea that the content of the natural world is not logi, but rather prime matter i don't know i mean it's something that we go and we look at and we reason up to this first simple substance but uh again Losky being faithful to maximus he knows that we can't have natural theology because it's connected to absolute divine simplicity um and the terms as as you pointed out 49 this is where he says the plotinian trinity is not our triad there is a transformation of the terms he says that are not the same as hellenism Therefore, Roman Catholic natural theology is impossible, impossible. And he makes this great point that I've said many times in order to interpret the natural world as well as revealed theology, repentance is needed. You can't properly interpret nature without metanoia. Repentance mm -hmm. is needed. And then he goes on to make an important point that uh, many people that we interact with uh, uh, can't seem to figure out or make. And this is the Aristotelian distinction between primary and secondary substances. Primary substances yeah. being the uh, individual and secondary substances being the common universal essences. Right. Um, Hellenism is often based on a one and many dialectic. If you've studied Plato and Aristotle, you know this comes up in the dialogues and in, and, in, and uh, even the Republic, the dialectic between the one and the many. Um, in Plato's idea, it's kind of resolved in this ultimate monad unity he thinks he can kind of resolve everything and well if we just boil everything back to 
the striving for unity, then we'll, we'll, we'll have everything. And so, uh, multiplicity loses its significance. Multiplicity becomes part of the, um, fractured lesser ontological status of this world, right? Hence why mm-hmm. Plato wants to free this world and get back to the ideal. You see the body is a prison. Well, that's not what we say. We don't say that. Right. But we're just pointing out that, uh, it's, uh, uh, St. John Damascene, he says, uh, helps us with some of these terms because John Damascus would utilize in his, uh, uh, not just in Exposition of Orthodox Faith, but also in his philosophical philosophical chapters, he'll utilize the one and the many principle for picking out individual substances as opposed to secondary substances, mm-hmm. essences. Um, he will point out how uh, person and nature are distinguished. This is common uh, in the Cappadocians, all the arguments you've heard me make endlessly. Um, hypothetic, hypothetic properties are what we mark the persons with, not relations of opposition, not, uh, as Aquinas says, persona uh, et relatio, person is relation. No, we don't teach any of that. Orthodoxy only identifies the, per, the, the, the persons, the hypostases, on the basis of hypostatic properties, which are connected to the father alone being the sole cause or monarchia. If you don't have the doctrine of the father alone as the sole cause or monarchia, then you can't have hypostatic properties as the way to identify the persons. They do have relations. There are relations, but relations are, uh, 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 as the Sashinsky book points out, relations are predicates. They're not subjects. The persons are the subjects. Right. And he goes into Lasky differentiating between usia and hypostasis because obviously he's saying generically these can be confused it seems like they're pointing at the same thing but as you're pointing out it's about personhood hypostasis is about personhood as opposed to more of the emphasis on substance or essence with usia and that we we have to purge even that term from its aristotelian concepts of individual versus personhood because We are interested in person. We're not interested in the individual, this sort of abstract concept. Yeah. So uh, the Cappadocian notion of hypostasis and usia, letter 38 of Basil, uh, does not come from Aristotle. It does not come from a uh, idea of just an individual substance. This is an older idea that they innovate on. And, and uh, I'm not saying that they invented the idea of uh, the Trinity, or, but everybody knows who knows about this, that the Cappadocians made huge advances in explicating the doctrine of the nature-person distinction, which is fundamental. I mean, Don Damascus says the, the root of all heresies and heretics is to confuse nature and person. And that's mm-hmm. why he stresses on 56 and 57, relations are predicates, they're not subjects. To have the Roman Catholic conceptions is to confuse nature and person. Um, thus, person is not equated to relation, but that's precisely what Thomas does in the Summa in Book One Twenty Nine A Four. Persona at relatio. The sole cause, the sole arche, is the person, the hypostasis of the Father, and hence all Orthodox triadology, all the Eastern Fathers begin their Ordo Theologiae, their triadology, with the hypostasis of the Father, not a common essence. Can we talk about a common essence? Sure. Can we call the one God the whole triad? Can the one God phrase refer to the Trinity or the divine essence? Yes, as long as it's understood to be that the person of the Father is the beginning point and the recapitulation of the triad. In fact, they even say that the person of the Father recapitulates the unity of the triad. That's a uh, Cappadocian notion. 
So are there relations? Yes. Basil talks about relations. Nessa talks about relations. Gregory Nazianzus talks about relations. But the relations presuppose the hypostatic subject. They're not identical to it, and hence why absolute divine simplicity does not work, and hence why they had to invent things like relations of opposition and even their notion of the filioque. They, they would have never had the problem with the filioque if they had kept to the hypostatic properties and the father as the sole cause, and hence why the son can't participate in the father's unique uh, causal property. And I love how he, in this chapter, then he uses apophaticism to, to do exactly what you're saying, to dif- differentiate the Trinity, to say that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. And so using sort of negative theology, we can maintain personhood within the, Trini- within the Trinity itself and not fall victim to essentialist claims. That's yes. going to lead to sort of a modalism. Good point. Absolutely. And he also notes the mysterious nature, as you've heard me say many times, of hypostasis we don't even know exactly what a hypostasis we can't give a perfect definition because it's something that is at very root it's very root mysterious that doesn't mean we can't speak about it we can't speak cataphatically we can Uh, theology presupposes the ability to speak cataphatically but again it's it's always limiting it's always even the cataphatic statements he says are also apophatic because they're not a definition how can you have a definition of what you are or what i am Right. right. Uh, hypostasis is uh, it transcends nature, but that doesn't mean that it like goes out of nature or something like that. It's 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 nature is in hypostatized. It always exists in the mode of some uh, individual person, some mm-hmm. particular. Um, 64 is good because uh, in my copy, because he utilizes the absolute divine simplicity points to show how it leads to beatific vision. And then he makes the classic point I've made probably a thousand times that the Hebrew God is personal, not Hellenic, and that if you don't accept the Hebrew roots, I don't mean the Hebrew roots movement. (laughs) We're not talking about black Israelites here. If you don't accept the uh, actual biblical Hebrew notion of the personal God of Exodus 3, I am that I am, that that's a statement of personhood, then you have the Neoplatonic doctrine of a, a false beatific vision mysticism where you try to uh, dissolve yourself into the monad mm-hmm. now you would know Absolutely. a lot about that i think from your esoteric uh, yeah, ideas exactly. previously it, 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 that's what it's all about i mean it, it's built on that entire neoplatonic conception of a sort of um a sort of blending back into uh, uh subsuming within the one um and right and, and then which leads to in my mind again the 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 tendency in the modern world to always go towards perennialism. Yep. You know, they're working off some of these similar right. uh, presuppositions. And again, they always lead these thought patterns lead to the same similar conclusion. They manifest in different ways, but once you see it, you, you never not see it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's so easy to spot. And that's one of the things that I love about Orthodox theology is its uniqueness is once you start to really get into this stuff, it gives you a set of eyes to then actually analyze the world. And once you look, start to look at other religious traditions, spiritual traditions, you see all these commonalities yes. that you are in opposition to because of your starting place. Yeah, exactly. The order of theology has to be the hypostasis of the father. And then that will lead to all of the other things like the essence energy distinction, like the distinction between nature and person, uh, like the notion of um, coherence, which is important for Christology. In other words, perichoresis in the triad will also be uh, ex- uh, helpful in explaining the coherence of 
the two natures and in interpenetration in the in the, the in Christology and the two natures of Christ. So um, next point that I thought was really good was sixty five, where he discusses uh, re- revelation, revealed theology. Revealed theology is key, and revealed theology is what teaches us and tells us who God is, how far we can know God. Um, and that our theology is triadic. It's not a vision of some generic essence. It's a participation in the divine life of the triad. So salvation has to be triadic just like creation is triadic, just like redemption is triadic. The Trinity is the... What's this quote here? I like the way he said this. This is very uh, Vantilian. <laughs> the Trinity is the ground of all reality and thought. I thought that was a great quote. In fact, I'll probably use that in the book we're doing. Uh, with Father Deacon Dr. Ananias, because that's very relevant to our apologetic. I mean, we have to apply that principle to our apologetic as well. Um, we don't begin with autonomous speculation. We begin with uh, revealed theology, and that's that's his whole point there at the end of the Trinity chapter. Right. No, so I, so the, and the, this, this is distinguished, for example, from the Thomistic approach, which would say that, well, you can't begin your theology with the Trinity. That's a revealed doctrine. You've got to begin your theology with the philosophic approach of natural theology. There's a whole book on, uh, uh, what, 300 pages of how to get to God and know about God without revelation, without the Trinity, without Jesus. Oh, really? Does that really sound like it makes any sense? How are we, how are we going to start our system? without reference to Jesus. Does that make any, that doesn't make any sense. How foreign is that to John Damascus's exposition, which begins with the triad? How does Palamas begin his theology books? Trinity. How does Lasky begin his theology books? Trinity. And by starting there, we've already dealt with so many issues. Again, we've already talked about the one and the many. So by starting with the Trinity, as he's highlighting with a quote from St. Maximus, uh, this is on my 63 clear uh, based on what you're saying. I think our pages are different, mm-hmm. but uh, in the words of St. Maxis, God is identically monad and triad. And then he goes on to how you understand this apophatically in, in that he's is it being as incomprehensible for its incomprehensibility is rooted in the fact that God is not only nature, but also three persons. The incomprehensible nature is incomprehensible in as much as it is the nature of the father of the Son and the Holy Ghost. God is incomprehensible because Trinity yet manifesting himself as Trinity. And so here, apophaticism finds its fulfillment in the revelation of the Holy Trinity as a primordial fact, ultimate reality, first datum, which cannot be deduced, explained, or discovered by way of any other truth, for there is nothing which is prior to it. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yeah, there will be multiple places in Maximus as well where he will speak of uh, even creation does reflect the Trinity. Uh, this is, would be very problematic for somebody like Romanides. Again, there's nothing in the created order that all matches up to the, the Trinity or the energies or anything like that. Uh, well, that would be Buddhism. We couldn't know or speak about God if that was the case. All theology is pointless. The Bible doesn't tell you anything. And, and sometimes Romanides even uh, says that. He says, yes, you can't even read the Bible and understand it. All you know about God is when you have a direct perception of God. Well, again, this overlooks the fact that uh, this is just silly because uh, we have to have some point of contact between the uncreated and the created, right? And if the energies are also beyond being and apophatic in the sense that they never come to us, then we don't know God, right? The whole point right. of the energies is lost if we don't uh, know God and if there's no analogia. And in fact, he will actually cover that in this chapter because we're going to see that for Lasky and for us and 
for those faithful to St. Gregory Palamas, the uh, uncreated energies is the doctrine that relates directly to our view of soteriology. This will have a direct impact on how we believe and, and view salvation. How do we begin our order of theology? Well, according to him, again, it's the triad. And so because we begin with the triad, we have a real possibility of union with God. Having a real union with God in our theology is necessitates uncreated energies, uncreated grace, not mm -hmm. the grace itself being created. Right. So, the, so he says we can't use created modes of thought to define in a uh, in, in a in a full sense. We can speak cataphatically through analogia. He says on page sixty-eight of my copy. He says, but we have to understand that even that is a uh, create is an antinomy. The words that we're using. And so he mentions that Gilson uh, even realized this, that there's some, the, the, the gulf between the uncreated and the created is vast, but yet God overcomes this antinomy by uh, stepping into creation. The uncreated energies come into creation. And so they're not something that we never know or never see or, or never experience directly. This is a problem in Thomism because in Thomism, that's not really possible. That's why they have to say, well, all you know about God are just these created effects. You don't have a direct experience in this life of God himself. Just these created effects, uh, you know, created grace, etc. Yeah. And in the next chapter on uncreated energies, he's running, he's going to specifically address absolute divine simplicity. Exactly right. So right away. And by the way, this is also something controversial. Um, Lasky is very clear, just like uh, Florovsky and just like even Meyendorf, the Palamite synods and councils are dogmatic. They're not optional. This is not a school of thought within orthodoxy. Uh, mm -hmm. Lasky is very clear on, on my page 69 that you must accept the Palamite uh, councils. That means uh, Thomism and natural theology are not compatible with orthodoxy. You can't combine Palamas and Aquinas. I mean, this is so silly. Palamas cites Aquinas and says where he's wrong. When when Akandinos is debating Palamas in the in the debate with Barleymite, he he cites the Summa, and Palamas says, "Yeah, right. the Summa's wrong." <laughs> so how are you going to like combine these two? Oh, I know better than Palamas himself as to what Palamism is, and I can make the two work. Well, that's just a bunch of like ecumenists. Like uh, I was surprised Lasky referred to Aquinas as saint. Uh, he's probably doing that as an academic because it's expected. Uh, I, don't, oh, okay. I don't think he would necessarily think he that he was a saint in the right. orthodox sense because right. he, because but he because he affirms the uh, Palamite councils on page sixty nine. I think okay. he's just doing it because it's like accepted uh, academic speak. But then okay. again, I mean, maybe you know, I don't I don't have any problem saying Lasky got some things wrong. I don't, he's not infallible. I don't have a problem with him being making mistakes, but. Um, Were there any critiques that you had of him in these first two, or these first, yeah, two chapters? No, no, no. My only critique would be uh, in uh, he makes some odd statements about the Old Testament and dogmatic theology. Uh, oh, okay. th those I think are, are problematic, but that's the only problems I can f so far find. I haven't read everything Lasky wrote, so I don't know. But um, logos, oh. logi, energy, um, power, and wisdom. These are good sections uh, about. Um, God's power, God's glory, and 
the hypostases, uh, because Bradshaw will do the same thing. He'll discuss dunamis. Uh, he'll discuss uh, how that's different from um, energeia. This is what Lossky's trying to illustrate. Again, it's what Lossky says in like a few pages. I'm not knocking Bradshaw, but Bradshaw says all the same stuff in many, many more <laughs> difficult scholarly pages. You I haven't, I haven't finished that one. I've got about the first two chapters of that one. Okay, well, the first early chapters on Aristotle are the more difficult ones. As it gets into the energies and all that, it becomes more. It'll be, it'll be clearer. But um, uh, yeah, so he makes the point that I made earlier on page seventy-two that the, for Dionysius, the distinct. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Processions uh, in God, the processions in God. He speaks of these as energies, right? The mm-hmm. What Dionysius is calling the divine processions are energies. Um. Distinction so, is not separation, composition, or division. Right. This is the one in the many argument. Again, stressed on page 73. He cites Nazianzus. He, stri- he cites uh, John Damascus. Um, the energies flow from the usia, from the, inner, from the, the nature. They're proper to and signify the nature. Uh, here he also makes the originist, the anti-originist argument, or the, the originist problematic argument uh, about the generation of the sun that Athanasius makes that if we don't make distinctions in God between will and counsel and uh, natural generation, which absolute divine simplicity would preclude, then the sun is a creature or creation is an eternal generation. So this is the knockdown argument that Athanasius had against the Arians. It also applies to uh, origin. And that's what he's referring to on page 73. I had a question for you. Um, and four, seven, four. Right in the beginning of this chapter on uncreated energies, he's quoting, I did not know that uh, um, Etienne Gilson was his teacher. You're saying that he was his, yeah, he Gilson, was his mentor. He studied under Gilson, yeah. So um, he has a brief little quote here from him uh, talking about the fundamental principle of the spiritual life very well. Lower, he says, even. If only for an instant and at a single point, the barrier between God and man, which is created by the contingency 
of being, you have deprived the Christian mystic of his God and thus of his mysticism itself. Any God who is not inaccessible, he can dispense with. It is the God who is in his nature inaccessible whom he cannot do without. And I was going to ask you, it seems like he's using the argument from contingency in a sort of orthodox way because of the, the, the of the necessary nation, you know, the necessary uh, being of God is distinct from creation itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just curious because uh, I did a video just explaining what the argument of contingency is, but I haven't heard anybody within orthodox circles actually try to use it in a sort of presuppositional way in a sort of framing the necessary being in an apophatic apophatic framework. And I was curious what your thoughts on that were. Uh, I think you probably could uh, make that kind of an argument. The the problem with the necessary being argument is not so much within the argument itself, whether there's flaws. The problem is more so that it relies on kind of prior uh, epistemic and metaphysical assumptions So if your opponent grants you those assumptions, maybe you can make that argument. But the problem is that a really astute one might not grant you those, those assumptions. In other words, you might say something like, well, let's talk about a necessary. Well, wait a minute. What is necessary? What is a being? You see, see just the notion of uh, being and the notion of contingency, they already come loaded with philosophical baggage and assumptions that in the middle ages weren't questioned. Uh, later they get questioned. So I'm not convinced that they're the best apologetic argument, depending on right. how sophisticated your um, atheistic opponent is. Uh, perhaps if it's like a Graham Oppie or somebody like that, they would be sophisticated enough to call you out on that and say, well, I'm a follower of Hume and Quine. Uh, I'm going to call you out on all these metaphysical assumptions that you have. And you haven't, you haven't demonstrated those things. You're just assuming all those things first. First, you got to prove right. to me that there is being, that there is existence, what this is, that there's necessity to that. How do I, that there's perfections and that there's grades of this and that created being has a contingency and it's acted upon. And this is all like grandiose metaphysical baggage that I'm not saying is, is false or not true. It is true in the Christian paradigm. You can make sense of that. But if you don't have a Christian paradigm, a, a, a consistent atheist is going to sit back and be like, you're just using a bunch of like, you know, metaphysical baggage and loaded terms and you haven't demonstrated any of that. Why should I believe in any of those, any of those things? Right. But, but you you can reframe a lot of these things about contingency, um, into a, a, an apologetic. Yes. Because Maximus does do this in the 200 chapters. He begins in other places. He begins by talking about in what sense God is and is not the first cause. Uh, which would relate to the creative being and its contingent properties as opposed to God being not contingent. Right. No, I would I would never say that it would uh, supplant the tag argument because obviously given your what you're saying, uh, an empiricist critique of this argument, we're, you, you're going to have to start with a presuppositional framework. But I just hadn't heard... Um, online you or even you i've never heard you actually talk about the argument of contingency and it seemed like out because some of the apologetic arguments aren't going to they they aren't going to work in an orthodox framework well and okay like uh in, it seemed like this one would well no wait a minute why would some 
of those so, not working. So pure way. act that that's, you know, that's, that's a, an apologetic argument, um, for I, I've seen Thomas make, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that's not going to work in a orthodox framework. Correct. But, but content, the argument of contingency seems like it would work. I'm not saying that you would want to begin there because of the critique of the presuppositions and granting them the metaphysical ideas, what you just said, but, um, it seemed like, you know, after the tag, well, that, that it, it's moving, you know, it, it, it works with our theology. Now, if you're in a debate, I'm saying, no, yeah, you're not going to want to begin with no, that. No, well, that's why, that, correct. That's why Maximus can take all of these um, Aristotelian, Neoplatonic uh, notions, and he can pull and play with them freely he's not bound by uh some philosophical box that he has to squeeze his theology into his theology is what what determines which philosophical things he can pull from so um within the the orthodox paradigm yes many of the things thomas say many of the things that uh fezzer says or jilson says about uh the structure of the causal relations in the world of metaphysics that we agree with a lot of those things the sure. problem is that I, I just have to always, in a, an apologetic way, stress that we're not Roman Catholics. We don't accept right. natural theology, and we don't have the same starting point in order of theologia as those guys. Even though within their system, they do have areas that that they certainly share with us. I mean, right. the mere fact that Lasky can you know cite Gilson in positive ways shows that he doesn't think Gilson has everything wrong. But he right. doesn't agree with him on a, on a presuppositional fundamental level of where theology starts and you know, whether the Pope actually solves anything or anything like that. But, um, yes, you, you could, I mean, I would say that it's not just the contingency argument. There's a whole bunch of other arguments. Yeah. The argument from, from morality. I think that that totally works with, uh, an Orthodox framework. Yeah. My only qualification is just that I would tend to, to have a better, more sound argument i would tend to reframe all of those things in a transcendental way so oh, okay so for example the the cosmological argument mm-hmm. the um uh, teleological argument if you make them there's a transcendental version of those arguments that i think are i didn't sound. know that yeah so i would say okay. the same thing to the contingency argument that you're making if you have a transcendental version of it it's it's a better more sound argument um, which is not to say that you couldn't use those arguments to convince people, but again, depends on who you're, I mean, if you're talking who to, you're talking to, yeah, right? if you're talking to Graham Oppie, he's just going to call you out on that stuff. We're trying right. to get a debate with him. So maybe one day we can, but, um, let me see if father Deacon, he has any comment on this. He was in the chat. He might've been aching to comment on this, this arena, but I don't, I haven't seen him in a little bit, but yeah, I would just say, I would reformulate them into transcendental versions. Um, Again, not because... So this is an argument. People say, well, where were all the transcendental arguments in the Middle Ages? So the (laughs) the problem is that the Middle Ages, they weren't asked... It was scholasticism. They're they're not going to be working on the same framework. Well, even in Byzantium, they weren't asked the the, uh, paradigm-level questions that begin to be asked after uh, Descartes after Hume, after Kant, after Vico, right? these characters start asking questions that had never been asked before. 
for example, you, you have people who discussed sign and symbol and this kind of stuff. Aristotle discussed poetics and language and linguistic philosophy, but he didn't ask questions that would later be asked at a paradigm level. Mm. So what I'm saying is that when you get people asking paradigm level questions, if you don't answer them at a paradigm level, it's, you're just going to be running in circles, you see. Right. That's all I'm trying to right. say. So it's not that that all the scholastics got everything wrong or all the Thomas got everything wrong. It's not, that's not the issue. The issue is that if you keep rehearsing medieval arguments, when people are asking questions that the medievals didn't consider, right. You're not going to get anywhere. Hence why someone like a Hume or a Graham Oppie will trip up Thomas and medieval people. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. No, that's I totally see what you're saying. Again, that's the beauty of the presuppositional approach and I, I think with father deacon's uh, essay uh, as will be probably the first chapter in our book uh you will mm. see that the transcendental argument is makes the most sense with apophatic theology <laughs> i mean it's like oh absolutely makes, I mean, it makes Lasky, sense. it sounds at points he's he, it's i mean at points it literally sounds like he's not saying transcendental argument but the emphasis on the trinity on on personhood on you know the order yeah, of actually, yeah, i mean I, it, it Stan Eloy is actually who comes the closest to just being a full-on presuppositionalist. And, I mean, there's multiple places where he almost makes the tag. I mean, 200, 201, um, those are pretty much transcendental argument. What book is that? The Stan Eloy book, Orthodox What's Dogmatics, that? Volume 1. Orthodox Dogmatics. This is one of the best. I I, I, I always recommend. I mean, Lasky's great to kind of start with, but but... Uh, this is not an intro book. It's it's pretty advanced. Uh, I mean, if gotcha. you know Maximus now and some of these ideas, you'll do fine. But the reason Stanilo is good is he's the first, well, along with Lasky and Florovsky, uh, Stanilo is the first dogmatic theologian to really stress the essence and distinction in Maximus. Other dogmatic theologies are not terrible, Pomazowski, but they don't really stress the importance of the energies. And they don't, but, but, the guys that we're talking about, you know, Florovsky, Larche, Lasky, Staniloy, they're very faithful to Palamas, even Meyendorf overall. Although Meyendorf, I think, has some problems, but he's he's still roughly in that school, that that tradition. But which I think is just consistent orthodoxy. Um, you you want to get to yeah, uh, him talking about energy essence and how <laughs> Palamism. There's no such thing. It's orthodoxy. Right, exactly. That's what his whole chapter is dedicated to. So the energies are not created effects. Remember that in Thomism, it's structured between uh, God and the creation, right? Cause, God, effect, creation. They don't typically ask the question and the nuance that the Orthodox in the East asked, the, the layers of theology that the East has. Well, what is the energy itself, right? For the Thomas, that's an absurd question. There is no unrealized potentia in God. Right. There's no right. distinction between dunamis uh, and energeia or right. uh, act and, and potency. They're, they're identical and they are the essence of God. Obviously, clearly, that's not even disputed that that's what Thomas teaches. Um, but for orthodoxy, energies are not created effects. Ener we're asking what is the power, what is the energy itself right, in these actions. Uh, we do not have a doctrine of created grace. Um, is there a gracious component to creation itself? Yes, but that is not the Thomistic Roman Catholic Tridentine doctrine of created grace. 
Um, energy, uh, I can't read my note here. Energies are the mode of the triad outward. Yeah. So God's essence is internal. It's, it's something that we will never know. The mm-hmm. energies are the mode of the triad out ad extra, so to speak, towards creation. But not just towards creation, because remember, there are natural energies or eternal energies that God would have always been manifesting, even if he'd not created. This is a key argument uh, that Athanasius makes. That's in the Florovsky paper on Athanasius and creation. This is his argument against the Arians, right? And this relates ultimately mm-hmm. to the Council of Blackernay and the energetic manifestation, which is that this is one easy way to know that there's distinctions in the energies. For example, um, is a theophany energetic? Yes. Does it happen in time and space at one point and come and go? Yes. Um, is it eternal? No. Is it uncreated? Yes. So this trips up Roman Catholics because they're like, how is that even possible? Well, uh, Palamon says because God overcomes the logical antinomies. Now, is the action of creating the world uncreated? Yes, it's God's action. Is it eternal? No, it happened at one point. Ex nihilo. There's not eternal creations. Is the action of creating the world identical to God's eternal manifestation of love or glory? No. No. So there's distinctions, Palamas says in the triads, between the energies themselves. Thus, logi, which are energies, Palamas says, they only relate to the created order. They're mm-hmm. eternal, they're uncreated, but God did not have to bring them to be. So therefore they are thought wills, you see. Anyway, I'm sorry. So uh, Philoret uh, on the essence energy distinction, I thought that was a great quote there. There's unity in God. There's eternal generation in God. There's an expansion and a contraction. This is important because this is a, a, a Plotinian notion that Maximus will utilize. Uh, Tolson has a really long, difficult section, uh, chapter three, uh, on expansion and contraction. And basically this is just the idea that God created out of goodness. Um, that's the, the why, uh, we don't know how he did all this, but we know that he did it just simply out of his goodness. And mm-hmm. so you have God essentially the triadic eternal reality, Viewing forth, flowing forth, uh, uh, different phrases like that are using, used to suffuse his goodness into a new created mode of being, a new reality, creation, distinct from himself, but yet at the same time created to have the potential to participate in him. And so this is a big point that's going to come up in the next chapter that distinguishes Orthodox theology from most, not all, but most Roman Catholic theology. Only the Scotists and the Franciscans uh, will agree with us on this point. The Roman, the, the Thomas do not. We believe that creation was, was done for the purpose of deification and for the right. purpose of the Logos. Right. So for us, the incarnation is not an afterthought. Um, so... What Maximus does is he says that God created, this was the original expansion. The, the, this is on the basis of the Logi. The false sort of put things out of whack. And so what Christ does in the incarnation is that he gathers these Logi back into himself. The, the created, I should say, the created patterns. Uh, the, the created reality based on the, the eternal Logi patterns. He, he brings them back in the recapitulation in himself as the new Adam. Mm-hmm. Because when Adam sinned, he affected the whole created order, you see. 
cosmically. So when Christ comes, he recapitulates the whole created order cosmically. Romans 8. So he gathers in to himself all these things. Um, that's the expansion and the contraction of, of creation. And that bringing back the contraction is theosis. We are right. participating in that being brought back into, being led back into our Logi, which is in the Logos. And by the way, in, 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 yeah. would, would you agree that, that As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's what he's getting at in the chapter on the church and in, in the sense of, of the transition, sort of the in historical time from before the incarnation to after the incarnation that uh, I forget what he talks about the sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, grace. I forget how he phrased it, but it can't be taken away from us. Unlike it could be from Adam that we're at, we're in a new, a new place anthropologically and that, you know, he could have the status that he was. Of course, he, theosis was always the point from the beginning, but the fall he, he lost something. At, at, whereas once the incarnation occurs, we can never lose that thing that we lost in terms of the grace that is bestowed upon us. The, the process of the ocean of theosis by participating in the will of God, that we can still be free will. We can choose God's will. We can, cho- we cannot choose God's will, but we have, that will never be taken away from us. This is one of the, the you know, what, 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 what in particular, well, choice will never be taken away, but in the eschaton, the uh, gnomic possibility of deliberating and falling into evil will be taken away. So theosis will actually heal the fallen state of our will. Um, and so we will still retain the natural energy of the freedom of choice, but it will just be multiple goods that we choose in the eschaton. Right. Well, getting at, uh, he, he talks about the difference, you know, the Christ being the second Adam and how uh, we who exist after the incarnation have essentially an opportunity uh, the ability for theosis that can't be taken away from us like it was after the fall yes i see what you're saying yeah our state is like adam and eve but also different so we're not right. in the exact same situation adam and eve was a unique case 
um, nothing will ever be like the the case of Adam and Eve. Well, even even all the people that existed before the incarnation. So all those people from from Adam and Eve, everybody who lived up to the incarnation of Christ, uh, you know, they weren't able to participate in God the same way that we well, can after the. Huh. Well, hold on. So they did and they didn't. So okay. So Maximus, for example, uh, will just dis- discuss that the Old Testament saints had theosis. Um, other saints will speak of uh, uh, Abraham possessing the noetic vision of God, which Moses saw God, right? According to Paul. So that would be impossible if you didn't have grace. That would be impossible to, unless... No, yes, they did have, yeah. but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't... So the way he describes it in the book is that there were prophets, there were individuals... Well, but what I was but it say, wasn't for everybody as it right. is after the incarnation. Every single right. person has this opportunity now. Right. So Pentecost is the key uh, game changer here. So right. what was the unique experience of select people, the prophets, Isaiah, um, and yes. other Israelites as well, not just the prophets. But, I mean, anyone, Paul's very clear in the New Testament many places that the only way to be saved ever at any time was uh, through Christ and through grace, even for Adam or whoever. Um, but rather it's a, a question of degree and power. So Pentecost is the game changer here because as Joel mm-hmm. says that what was confined to Israel, Joel says the spirit will be poured out upon all. Right. Not Maybe just, it was in the chapter on the economy of the spirit. Probably. Maybe that's so, where this was. So there's, there's, there's continuity between the Old and New Testament and also discontinuity in the sense of like the degree and the power. I mean, yes. clearly Pentecost is a new event, you know, in redemptive history. There's no question about it. And Joel, but Joel and Joel prophesied that. And then in Acts two, you know, Peter says, this is uh, Joel being fulfilled, mm-hmm. the spirit being poured out upon all. And so in that sense, yes, the degree. So what well, the thing of second Corinthians three, when Paul speaks of the vision that Moses has, he says, what was unique to Moses is really, what we're all called to experience because Moses saw Christ face to face. We are being now called into that same face to face encounter. Right. Um, there's an interesting argument. I had not seen, uh, Habakkuk three, three and four. I'd never thought about that as a reference to the essence energy distinction. Uh, That was an interesting argument from, uh, Lossky I'd never seen. He says, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his earth, the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was as the light and he had rays coming forth from his hand. There he was with the there he was, there was the hiding of his power. So you have this manifestation of the rays and of God going out mm-hmm. at extra out and mm-hmm, also of mm-hmm. God in the sense of hidden ad intra, his inner uh, uh, nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, I want to be clear. Some people, uh, some Orthodox are mistakenly under the impression that we know nothing of the inter-Trinitarian life. That's not true at all. Uh, the whole Council of Black Rene is there to explain what, in what sense we do know things of the inter-Trinitarian life. And in fact, we are called to participate in the inter-Trinitarian life in the eschaton. So uh, that's just ignorance and stupidity. Um, next, we come to the essence energy distinction being another antinomy that yep. uh, is overcome in our theology. Um, Barlium and Akindinos uh, cite Aquinas and the Summa, which, uh, again, <laughs> is not reconcilable with Palamas, as we see here. In uh, absolute divine simplicity, again, the hypostases are relations, and we have actus puris. 
That is not Orthodox theology. Orthodox theology, page 78, is not built on antinomies or, and this is, for example, we would not say that because there's real distinctions in God, that means that God is composed or divided. But most of the time when you're arguing with Roman Catholics and Thomas, they think that real distinctions or multiplicity that's real somehow must equate to composition or division. And that's because of their philosophic assumptions, which we don't share. Mm-hmm. Um, human intelligence uh, is limited. Um, absolute divine simplicity is based on human philosophy. All the arguments you've heard, yep. you know, me saying for so long. Um, <laughs> that's what I was saying. This chapter yeah. is like a it's like a hit of your uh, conversations with Catholics. It is. Uh, he also points out that we have to be faithful to the pillars uh, of orthodoxy. Mark of Ephesus, Ephesus Palamas, Photius. Yes. Um, those are people that we can't toss aside and say, oh, well, we can all just get back with Roman Catholics now because, oh, we all believe the same thing. No, uh, the monarchia of the father, he says, is a leads directly to the essence energy distinction. How many times have you heard me say that these all these things all hang or fall together? The monarchia yes. of the father leads to our rejection of filioque. It's a denial of absolute divine simplicity. It's an affirmation of uncreated grace because of the energies. It all goes together. Right. Yeah, I uh I like this one little piece where he's talking about uh, what he says while distinguishing in God, the three hypostasis, the one nature and the natural energies, Orthodox theology does not admit any kind of composition in him. The energies like the persons are not elements of the divine being, which can be conceived of apart in separation from the Trinity, from which they are the common manifestation, the eternal splendor. They are not accidents. They are in hypostatic. They're not yeah, uh, accidental qualities. This is what Roman Catholics would do this with John Damascus, where they say, look, uh, John Damascus says there's no accidents in God. Therefore, there's no energies. Uh, ignoring all of his chapters on the <laughs> energies. Yeah, well, that's because uh, energies aren't accidents. Exactly. They're not accidental qualities. And the only reason they would think that is because they think that distinction must imply composition or division or accidents it doesn't right uh i mean the father the son and the spirit are really distinct and they're not composed right um which, which would you agree begins with sort of again the the improper order of theology which thing catholics why they end up there you're talking about their absolutely they start talking about the, you know yeah because they begin the theology with a, with essence with a doctrine of what uh, simplicity must be right it must be this you know when Aquinas rejects John Damascus's argument. He cites Maimonides. He says Aristotle, <laughs> Aristotle and Maimonides say simplicity can't have real distinctions. Uh, well, then you're not a Trinitarian, dude. Right. <laughs> you're a it's, it's amazing how people get there. How, I mean, how can you, how because can you say that? There's an endless, the yeah, there's an endless sophistry of casuistry and just just invent <laughs> just invent new things uh, so energies aren't accidents uh this is mentioned on page 80 and then we get into the important doctrine of energetic or eternal manifestation which again the council of black Rene, uh the whole papadakis book is the best book on this mm. so uh, crisis in byzantium and this is of course george of cyprus's uh many arguments that will be the same arguments as palamas he was the Patriarch uh, Gregory II of Cyprus. And these will be known as the Palamite Synods. Again, they are normative for us. They have passed into our liturgy. 
it's not questionable. Uh, every Orthodox person in the world is supposed to believe in the Council of Black Renee, even though it's not a, quote, ecumenical because there's no empire uh, necessarily that, well, you could argue it was Byzantine, so in a sense it was imperial, but um, energetic manifestation is directly related to our doctrine, again, of the uh, per, the monarchy of the Father and the essence energy distinction. You can't believe in energetic manifestation unless you believe in energies. So this is why when you talk to Roman Catholics and they have all their filioque uh, quote minds ready to go in the machine gun, uh, click and paste, uh, all you have to do is point out that, yeah, those quotes that you think prove filioque are actually just energetic manifestation. And they're like, what are you talking about? What's that? We don't have that. Well, you don't have that because you don't have the doctrine of uh, of the energies, first of all. Uh, unless you're, why unless you're a UDA, which is the inconsistent, crazy position where you can believe in all these things and at the same time not believe in all these things. Um, Without the energies, you can't have theosis. Right, but I'm just pointing out that, that when you... For the Catholic, I'm just yeah, telling right, you. Yeah. Right. No, I'm agreeing with you. I was just saying that the, the rejection of these energies, that it's why they can't have a theosis. They can't have an uncreated grace. Right. Well, there, there's inconsistency there because Roman Catholic theology does at times mention deification and theosis. Uh, there's many places where okay. the, the Roman Catholic saints mention this. It's just that their notions are confused. They have conflict. Is that contextual they in have, a certain time period where they mention that? I'm not as familiar well, with most Catholic of the Latin theology. Father, no, well, most of the Latin fathers, Hilary, Augustine, Jerome, okay. um, they'll talk about deification made like God, theosis. The, the problem doesn't come until the Middle Ages when you get a lot more specification and there's disputes over the nature of grace created grace what is grace um actually i think it's post trent there's actually so trent will specify that the the righteousness and justification that we get is not the justice that god himself has that's a quote actually from on the trinity by augustine so when trent begins to argue for created grace that's their argument that's their basis so it's something that develops over time but even in the Middle Ages, there's debates over grace and what it is and what it isn't. And Bonaventure disagrees with the, the Thomas and the Scotus and the French. They all have debates. doesn't matter because they don't teach our view. Um, and no, right. the Scotus don't teach our view either. Uh, the next point, uh, page 81, the Holy Spirit does not proceed by will. Right. And yet Roman Catholic dogmatic theology tends to say that it does. I'm sorry, but that's a huge argument in our favor. Because they confuse nature, person, will, energy, essence in God, uh, they confusedly think that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the will of the Father and the Son. Excuse me, that's the Arian argument for Jesus. If Jesus is a product of will, then he's a creature. Because everything that's a product of will is a cre creation is a product of will. Then is the Spirit a creature? Right? This is Photius's argument that still holds up. Um analogical images are not uh, directly proportional or related to the trinity they're not perfect definitions will is common to the triad and so therefore the spirit cannot proceed by will or else he would proceed from himself even aquinas notice this problem i've got it marked in the summa contra gentiles the procession of the holy spirit uh-oh aquinas notices the problem how can if absolute divine simplicity is true then how can the holy spirit proceed from the essence he would proceed from himself. This is uh, book four, page 113. 
14, 15. Now, I don't think Aquinas resolves that question because he doesn't have the orthodox theology, but it's just interesting that he did notice that problem. So love, an attribute, common energy or attribute, is not equated to one of the persons. Right. Well, how about Palamas saying that the love, the spirit is the love of the Father and Son? Yes, at an energetic level. That's what he says. <laughs> not at the hypostatic or essential level. Right. Uh, to equate persons and attributes or faculties is the error of Apollinaris. Apollinaris said that the Logos takes the place of the human mind or soul in Christ. But that would be to confuse the faculty of nature with the property of person. Mm. That's the error of Apollinaris. So mm -hmm. then he also, of course, Lossky makes the common critique that um, we don't confuse theology proper with economy. So the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus sending the son has absolutely no argument in terms of hypostatic origin it has nothing to do with it. It's a terrible argument. Uh, most Roman Catholics who learn the issues at a deeper level, they stop making that argument. <laughs> they realize it's not, it's a terrible argument. Um, let's see. The energetic movement is also triadic. The energies move from the father through the son and the spirit. Uh, Saint, he has a great quote from St. Cyril of Alexandria on the energies. Um, the energies also show us perichoresis, just like the hypostases show us perichoresis. Um, this is interesting too. This is something people misunderstand that Roman Catholic theology, I don't think gets, uh, I, I think there, which is not to say that there aren't some Roman Catholic theologians, some theologians somewhere that talk about this, but the triadic modes or roles, the tropos. So each hypostasis has a unique role or mode in creation and in redemption, right? Did the father die? No. Did the Holy Spirit die? No. The hypostasis of the son underwent incarnation, death, burial, resurrection. So we have to have a theology, a Trinitarian theology that allows for each of the hypostases to engage in unique roles or modes without compromising their unity. Only Orthodox theology has even broached this topic. Roman Catholic mm -hmm. theology, I don't see. If absolute divine simplicity is true, how does one person come and die? Shouldn't it be the whole Trinity dying? Yep. But so uh, you'll notice there on page 83, the son uh, is the hypostatic wisdom of the father. And so we get these uh, roles in creation and in redemption. Right. And he will say this again in another chapter two, uh, chapter. On created, yeah, the son renders the father visible. Yeah. And on created being, he'll say that the, in the Logi section, he'll say that the creation is a triadic mode where... Uh, Let's see, it's page 100. He quotes Gregory the Great and Athanasius. All things are created by the Logos. St. John tells us that all things are made by him. Uh, uh, the Council of Nicaea teaches us it is the Father who created the heavens and earth and all things visible and invisible. And later, the Spirit is called life-giving. The Father created all things by the Son in the Spirit, says Athanasius. For where the Word is, there also is the Spirit. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Here we have the economical manifestation of the triad, the father operating by the son and the spirit. This is why Irenaeus calls the son and spirit, the two hands of God. The work of creation is the common action of the whole Trinity, but each of the three persons is the cause of created being in a unique way, right? This is the tropos or mode that each of them has the role. That's not modalism. It's just 
the role in creation. St. Basil, when speaking of this creation of the angels, he says that traces of the manifestations of the triad in the work of creation are present. In the creation, he says, consider the primordial cause. This is the hypostasis of the Father. The operant cause is the Son. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The perfecting cause is the spirit. Uh, Maximus will say the same thing. He will say that the reality itself has a triadic mode of being. Um, really, really right. deep stuff in Maximus. But um, yes, yeah, so you're right. In the next page, 84, moving back to where, where we were. The son is the manifestation of the, uh, I, I, he is the icon of the father. Right, he is the direct icon of the Father's hypostasis. Mm-hmm. Um, Latin Church confesses confuses the economia with the hypostatic origin. Um, there's no will that ever inter- inter- intervenes between the persons. Will is a common faculty of all the persons, so it's a faculty of nature. Will is not a faculty of person. Energies are natural processions, and they are the basis of theosis. God does not have any parts. Because he is wholly one, and he is wholly present, and he's wholly revealed in every one of these energies, quoting St. Gregory Palamas. How is that possible? How is it possible for God to be wholly present in every energy, the energies to be truly distinct, and yet God is not composed, does not have parts? Because he transcends the logical antinomy. So. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. He says that no. God is antinomic without division or composition. Yeah. So he is one and many. He is knowable and he's unknown. He's absolute and he's revealed. Mm-hmm. And he's absolutely one and he's absolutely three. All on page 88 and 89. And if, uh, at least it was useful for me that the son being the icon of the father, it is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, which then allows us to know Christ. That's what it says yeah. Thus, it is by the Holy Spirit that we know Christ, who is both Son of God and God, and right. is the Son that we see the Father. The Son so leads us to the Father. The, tri- the Spirit the leads us to the Son. Go ahead. Sorry, the, I didn't the, hear you. The Son points us to the Father, and the Spirit points us to the Son. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
So again, remember that this is very important. It always comes up. The movement, Maximus speaks of the movement in God from monad, dyad, triad. All that means is that everything, Basil's dictum from the Father through the Son and in the Spirit, which is what Athanasius says, that triadic mode is true for the eternal movement in God. The energies move any from eternity, even if God had not created the love, the glory, the power of God would be manifested from the Father through the Son and the Spirit. When God creates, the creation of the world occurs from the Father through the Son and the Spirit. And then redemption happens from the Father through the Son and the Spirit with each hypostasis, as the Gospels show us very clearly, taking on a very unique role. Right. Um, natural energies are not equated to or identical to the energetic causes of creation. That's because creation is by will. This, again, the argument on my page 89 shows us that creation, the, the logi are not the same as the natural energies, clearly. If they were, creation would be eternal. It would be synonymous with God's glory, with God's love. But no, creation is a specific will, and the logi are thought wills that only relate to being uh, God willing to bring them to be in time and space, Maximus says. Which avoids some of the uh, sort of uh, the things that the characters that are necessitated on God, like you see in Islam or something like that, where God is a continual creator or something like that. Yeah, I keep bringing that up. I've never heard a, a significant uh, response to this because they will never be able to answer the originist dilemma. Uh, because of their doctrine of simplicity even if they have this theoretical distinction between attributes in essence it still doesn't it, it doesn't avoid that central problem because right. they will say well god is uh, eternally a creator really uh so how is he eternally a creator if he created in time at a specific point in time when they'll say <laughs> well th then they'll equate dunamis potentiality with actuality they'll say that well he always had the power to create so therefore he's an eternal creator oh so creating is the same thing as the potential to create so dunamis is the same thing as essence as well which again puts them back in the modal collapse bind that the thomas right. that the thomas have so creation is a revealed doctrine in the next chapter um, mm -hmm. maybe we could do this created being chapter will be our climax for the first half okay um, yeah that's fine. by the way i don't want to hog all this i feel like i'm yapping a whole lot feel free to interrupt or tell me you know don't no me. it's it's good. I mean, you, you have spent so much more time with this stuff than myself. Um, so I would expect you to, you know, cause you're, you're, you're referring to the ambiguum and all, well, all you're picking up we're on talking about these contexts. You're, when we're talking about, go ahead. You're picking up. I mean, you, you, your first reading of this was probably a better, I mean, you, I probably understood 60% of this the first time I read it. I feel like you have done better. You've, you've gotten a better handle on this than when I first read this. Um, so chapter five, creation is a revealed doctrine. This is going to be problematic for natural theology or trying to reconcile our stuff with Thomistic natural theology. Again, the, I mean, it's true that Thomas thinks that creation is a revealed doctrine, but he doesn't think that you need revelation to interpret the created order. That's the problem. You can go out there and start interpreting it autonomously. And, but I'm sorry, how can we understand the present world as it is without the doctrine of the fall? We can't, right? Death decay predator prey those are things that entered into the world as a result of the fall in our theology uh, so 
is God, if, if we look at the, the world as it is, uh, does it have elements of design? Yeah, but it also kind of looks screwed up. <laughs> like, I mean, the predator, like maggots feeding on death, that seems a little off, right? I mean, right. Is that what God wanted? No. The original intention of creation, you would not have maggots feeding parasitically on death. There would be no death. So you can't interpret the natural world correctly without revealed doctrine, without the doctrine of Genesis. You need Genesis mm-hmm. to interpret the world. But uh, contrary to Plato, contrary to natural theology, um, the doctrine of ex nihilo creation is unique to us, to, to our theology. I forgot to mention that Tolson mentions that as well, that for Maximus, creation ex nihilo is also an important rejoinder and response to the neoplatonic critique the generation of the word is by nature the creation of the world is by will it's ex nihilo creation is subject to change um god himself is not subject to change god is not acted upon then we get into a significant deep discussion of the logi uh everything you've heard me say is what he will say about the logi he says that they are energies. Uh, they are not uh, divine ideas located in the essence of God. That is the doctrine of Augustine in the West, page 95. Uh, we contrast this with creation ex nihilo. You just heard me saying that from Tolson and Maximus. The Logi are uncreated. They are thought wills. They are not uh, causes. They're not subsisting causes uh, in Platonic ideas or in uh, other mystical things uh, creation is a revealed dogma orthodoxy cannot accept their own catholic natural uh, theology view for example we have no doctrine of the donum superadditum 101 uh, roman catholic doctrine do- doctrine of man in, in the garden necessitates this doctrine of the donum superadditum the superadded grace right so there's no pure uh, perfectly pure nature state in orthodoxy um, the divine ideas are not the created essences of things. Right. That's what he says very clearly on page 101. Yes. So all the stuff that I say over and over and over is uh, uh, we can't, he says on page 101, we cannot do natural theology. It's it's not compatible. It's natural philosophy. Naturally, it's not compatible with orthodoxy. Right. Um, There's a uh, quote here. I know our pages are different, but on my 101, he says the world created in order that it might be deified is dynamic, tending always towards its final end predestined in the thought wills. Right. These latter have the center in the word, the hypostatic wisdom of the father who gives expression to himself in all things and who brings all things in the Holy spirit towards union with God. For there is no natural beatitude for the creation, which yeah. can have no other end than deification. There's no beatific vision. There's none of these, uh, you know, what will eventually become enlightenment ideas out of Aquinas of natural philosophy, natural rights, uh, a pure state of nature, all this nonsense that that doesn't exist in, in our because we have a different doctrine of creation. We have a different triadology. We have a different worldview. I also like that he goes into the pretty deep stuff in Maximus about the five fold division of created being. Oh, yeah. Concentric spheres of being. Um, that's essentially what this whole Tolufson t- text is diving into. Tolufson goes way deep into um, all the, the, the grandiose metaphysical structure that 
Maximus has inherited uh, and borrowed from Isagogy of Porphyry, from uh, Plotinus, from Aristotle, from Plato. Um, here you can see his uh, diagram of the um, expansion and contraction of uh, beings, oh, I see which yep. is just the 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 return to God is is the recapitulation and the and the theosis. Um, there's another diagram that, that was really good that I wanted to find. So for Maximus, create universals are created. Uh, so they have a they kind of have a concentric. When when he talks about these concentric circles, you can kind of see Maximus's notion of the universal, the particular, the genus, the species. So these unities and these differences in the created order, Maximus will argue, are all patterned on the Logi. They are not identical to the Logi. Right? Logi the, the Logi are not universals. They're not the essences of created things. They're uncreated patterns, principles, and archetypes that are the patterns of the created essences of things. So here's mm -hmm. another example of some of the... I showed you the Porphyrian tree before. This is just another kind of distinction of the Porphyrian division, uh, division of uh, kinds of differences, right? So objects possess unity and they also possess differences. In Maximus's mind, all, all of the created world is structured this way on the pattern of the Logi, you see. Uh, so the creation of create, the constitution of created beings has a one and many relationship that is patterned on the triadic reality. Uh, this is comes up multiple times in Tolson's book. It's not even controversial. And yet people want to argue with me over this. Um, there was another chart, but I can't find it. Anyway, we'll, we'll look at that another time. But yeah, I mean, Tolson kind of goes crazy deep into what you read in this chapter here with... Uh, Lossky talking about <clears throat> uh, the, the metaphysics of the creative world. Now, I, I by the way, uh, Lossky also contrasts this with, um, you know, we're not, what we're talking about here is not Jacob Boehm, it's not Paracelsus, it's not Kabbalism, which is all the low IQ arguments that people constantly throw at me. Um, this is Orthodox theology, right? Um, it's not Augustinianism. It's not uh, the errors of Bulgakov. It's not. It's not any of that stuff, right? It's not Neoplatonism. We we've been very precise in distinguishing our theology from those things. Anyway, yeah. I mean, yeah here, I mean, he says the theology of the Orthodox Church, constantly soteriological in its emphasis has never entered into an alliance with philosophy yep. and any attempt at a doctrinal synthesis, despite all its richness, the religious thought of the East has never had scholasticism. Correct. And he also says the, yeah, what does he say about? Um, he talks about Russian cosmism uh, which is, would be the millennial russian christian socialism um sophiology which is gnostic ecclesiology that's gone astray yeah, Bol gets yeah and, the, and these thinkers the idea of the church is confounded with the cosmos itself right 
Same mm-hmm. with, and he mentions Kabbalism, right? Kabbalism is like yep. re, rehash Platonism. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't, with Hebrew I mean, letters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the accus. But the, this, you can see how silly the accusations are. People say, "Oh, you're a Kabbalist, so you're Neoplatonist." I mean, this whole book is essentially arguing against Hellenism and Neoplatonism. So it's just the the most annoying low IQ argument that people have. They really are. And it's so explicit, and that's why, again, I love Orthodox theology, because once you get a hold of the sort of, you know, I'm learning so much, so it's not like I am anywhere near uh, you or Father Deacon Ananias or... Uh, I learn new Manwai. things every day, so don't don't feel bad. But, uh, but once you at least get a foundation, it just gives you a new pair of eyes. You know, where, where you're talking about, like, these arguments, anybody would call you a Kabbalist or Orthodox theology, Kabbalistic or or, you know... <laughs> E. Michael Jones talking about us being Neoplatonic. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's rich. It's, I, it, 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 that's why I love the theology because once you get a hold of it, you can see things that you weren't be able to see previously. And it, it is at a sort of paradigmatic level. It's so yeah. expansive in scope. Two volumes of Ambigua against Neoplatonism right here. <laughs> this whole, all of this is against Neoplatonism. So what do you talk about? And again, uh, when you read, uh, when you get to Stan Eloy, you'll find all the same stuff. I mean, Stan Eloy is deeper. Yeah, I need to read that. He's even deeper than Lasky. Uh, Lasky is a more readable person. Stan Eloy will go a whole another level deeper than uh, Lasky will on this stuff. Um, what are your thoughts? I, I haven't got into this, but uh, clergy at my church is saying, I got to read this book, Freedom of Morality. Have you read this one? I have not. Mm. They They are telling me this is one of the best books that they've read uh, well i would say uh this isn't a good one too um professor manzaridis he has a great book on the deification of the yeah on palamas uh, so right he will now. make all the arguments i make are made in this book too just one 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 of the many many arguments books that all make this thing. i mean i don't know where people think i just make all this stuff up like oh so i think this no i read all these books i'm not making who, who is that by Professor, the deification of man. Uh, Professor Mansaridis. M-A-N-T-Z-A-R-I-D-I-S. Mansaridis. He's a, a <clears throat> prominent uh, Greek theologian. And then, gotcha. Uh, the, uh, if people want a more... Uh, what is your favorite book on Orthodox? You know, like, uh, there's because there's so much reading when you start going down into Orthodox, the Orthodox rabbit hole. Uh, I would say the the best theological treatise that I've read is Stanley Lloyd's Dogmatic Theology. I mean, this this oh, one well, really is that. the best at integrating. Um, and that's Orthodox Dogmatics, Volume One. Yeah, it's the best at integrating our. Uh, Ordo, our, um, because it's very presuppositional, it's very uh, transcendental argument-ish. It's really good at uh, Maximus, the Logi. It's really good uh, emphasizing the energies. It's really good critiquing Thomism, Aquinas. I mean, the first chapter is rejection of natural theology. (laughs) The The first thing he says is, the Orthodox Church does not do natural philosophy and natural theology. He says natural right. revelation would be a better term because that's more faithful to Maximus. 
Right. The, the the difficulty with this book is that there's about an 80 page sort of like going off into a really complex uh, orthodox conception of time. Mm. Uh, it's great, but if you're not philosophically astute, I'm not saying you, I'm saying people in general, right. uh, they'll have a hard time with that because Maximus has a lot of philosophic discussion of time. And how mm-hmm. the created God brings the Logi into being in time, uh, the ones that he wills to, uh, and they come to be and time is movement in space. Time is, uh, not in a dialectical tension with eternity. It's just, it's just really deep. I've never read any philosophy of time that was, I mean, it's really deep. I'm just going to warn you. It's good though. It's, it's worth it. Yeah, um, I gotta check it out. Also good, uh, this book's not flawless, has a couple places I would disagree. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. agree with, but overall, uh, Metropolitan Herodotus Vlachos' book, Person in the Orthodox Tradition, is a good treatment of uh, hypostasis, usia. Um, but I keep forgetting the, about this one. If people want a place to start, uh, I always forget that this is a, a no. If you want an introduction, not necessarily to Orthodox theology proper, but let's say you want to understand the philosophy that's being used here. Um, Pelican's book, Christianity and Classical Culture, The Metamorphosis of Natural Theology and the Christian Encounter with Hellenism, it's, it's, it's really good. I forgot how good it was, but what he does is he takes you through all the different philosophical systems and where the Cappadocians primarily will agree and disagree. Uh, and Pelican did end up Orthodox, so um, he's got a whole chapter on the one and the three, one and the many. Um, and he will go through energies, he'll go through Logi, he will go through uh, all the conceived RK, Telos, uh, Inhypostatize. Uh, I think I think he talks about that. 
telos, pockets of stasis. He may not mention it in hypostasis. I can't remember, but maybe he does. Um, I read this 10 years ago, but it's really good. Awesome. He, he'll talk about Aedos, divine ideas, matter form, hylomorphism, uh, Neoplatonism, one and many, analogia entis versus essence energy, first cause. It's, it's, this is the philosophic introduction that you would want to read. Awesome. Um, I wrote it down. Yeah. Also, I wouldn't recommend everything that he writes, but uh, chapter one on, he is a scholar of the Cappadocians. Zizalus is uh, being in communion by John mm. Zizalus. Chapter one is kind of a standard on the Cappadocians, uh, showing their battling Greek impersonalism and stressing the personalism of of the father right and of christ the nature person distinction so this book mainly is good for that first chapter um anyway the ones that uh well subdeacon mark i've done a few videos with him the ones that he's told me i have to read number one is freedom of morality but uh have you read christus victor this is another one he said I got to read. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with that. I never did get into that book, but it was uh, it's very popular when I was like amongst, you know, Protestant circles. Um, it's not bad in, in the sense of what it's, what it's going to be arguing for is essentially synonymous with a lot of the church fathers. So I'm familiar with that. I mean, John and Damascus, then, uh, John Damascus argues this. Meyendorf's Byzantine yeah, that's Theology. A, that's a classic. Yeah, it's a good introduction. Yeah, I, I was really surprised actually that because I had not read, I have a bunch of other Palamas, uh, books, but I had not read uh, Study of Palamas. And in the book Study of Palamas, Meyendorf comes out really strongly pro, like, you can't meld this with Thomism. <laughs> we can't, we can't accept the Thomist reading of Dionysius. Uh, you know, you have to accept the Palamite councils. I mean, uh, I, I kind of had a, a, a negative view of him, thought he was a little too ecumenical, but uh, he comes out pretty strong in that book. And that study of Palamas admits all the same stuff you hear me say, too. So, Yeah, that's, that's a, what that's we uh, – uh, well, Subdeacon Mark was telling me that he, that Meindorf, uh, that was kind of his bread and butter was Gregory Palamas. It is, but some people like accuse – yeah, but some people like, thought, thought he was too ecumenical and there's some other places where I, I do think he made some mistakes but we won't go into mm. all that that's a, the study of palamos <laughs> is, is a great book it's worth reading byzantine right. the, byzantine theology is good um as one of the first ones i read as well you ready to do some super chats yeah yeah absolutely all right mike Shearman for 20 bucks he says i can understand orthodox church bowing to stalin but not the woo flu what are your thoughts yeah i think it's unfortunate that uh we've had to deal with all this i mean i kind of expected it given you know the geopolitical realm that i look at and study uh, i i figured they would try to put us into these kind of binds it's unfortunate i think ultimately the best argument I've heard is from Father Peter Hears. I think he's correct that we should not bow to the whims of uh, the state and medical so-called officials because you see go arch and their plastic spoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is just ridiculous. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much question. It's really sad that the people are, I mean, our theology is not supposed to be determined by fears of insurance claims. 
and lawsuits. Sorry, <laughs> but could you imagine the martyrs? I mean, imagine the martyrs looking at us being like, you guys are a bunch of cowards. Right. Uh, and I'm saying I'm a part of this modern, modernity cowardice as well. Um, right. John, 50 bucks. Jay, please do an analysis of Wes and Justin Falls documentary, Belly of the Beast. Okay. I don't know what that is. I'll have to look at that. Belly of the Beast. But if you're going to pay me 50 bucks, I guess I will go watch it. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, Jake Berg, $5. Great book. I was glad to see that Lasky made the same point. Orthodox versus Latin Ordo Theologia. Yeah, that's not unique to Pharrell. I don't know where people got this goofy idea that that was... I mean, it's in Stanilo. Stanilo was writing all the same stuff before uh, Pharrell. Uh, so was Lasky. Let's see, when did Stanilo write this book? 94? I don't know when. I mean, he knew about this and made the arguments, of course, before. I mean, he's an old guy, so he probably... I don't know what year God History Dialectic came out, but it doesn't matter. All the arguments are just from Palamas. It's 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 all the arguments Palamas and Maximus makes, not from freaking God History Dialectic. Uh, it's in God History. Okay, so Lasky wrote his book before God History Dialectic. Um, I mean, excuse me, uh, Stanley Lloyd did. When did Mystical Theology is way old? This came out. Wait, I have. Uh, this 1976 copy that I got a hold of, and it just happens to be Father Peter Hears' dad, who was a priest. It's Father Peter Hears' dad's copy. You can see there, Father Gregory Hears. <laughs> so I have, I have. I have a 58. Huh? So it had to been. I mean, he died in 58. So even though it was published, looks like it's shown as published. Yeah, it would have 70s. to be earlier than that. Let's it's see. even earlier than that. This book was first published in Paris in 1944. 44. So I guess I guess Lasky got in the time machine and stole all of his arguments from Pharrell. <laughs> Robert Taylor, $5. Christ is... Wait. Sorry. Uh, I-X-O-Y-E. Uh, Ichthus. Five A's. Why does Lasky call Aquinas and Anselm Saints? We already answered that. Is it because he's speaking to a Western audience? Yeah, or he's writing as an academic. Robert Taylor, $5. Christ Ascended. I can't watch this live, but glad you're covering. Lasky, recommending it to my Catholic friends. One of the best modern Orthodox works. Yes, I think what's so good about this book is that he summarizes things so quickly. Like He's not writing Mm -hmm. the 7,000-page treatise. He's writing it, you know, he covers the energies perfectly in 20 pages. Um, What do you think? Any comments on that? No, I I agree. I think it's a it's a really useful summation of so many different things. I mean, you're getting ecclesiology, the uncreated energies, the economy of the sun, the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit. That's a to me that's a big one. The role because uh, I took a course when I was back in Berkeley on the role of the Holy Spirit, and so we got big into Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Orthodox different understandings, right. and. Uh, I mean, for, for much of Protestantism, it, you know, the Holy Spirit's totally absent. It's just a worship of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Lasky makes that point that uh, the triadic focus is lost in Protestantism, especially. Agreed. Which is obvious. But uh, also, I forgot to ask you, uh, there was a book I was going to ask you about. I forgot. Anyway. 
Maybe I'll think of it. All right, let's see. Marco Acuna, $10. Jay, I've been watching you for a year now. Well, thank you. I'm honored that you would watch me for a year now. Uh, by the way, oh, I remember what it was. Uh, Lofsky has another smaller book that's good, Image and Likeness. That's also good. Oh, About the, the Eastern Father's conception of man in the garden and the <clears throat> being made in the image of God and the likeness of God and then losing the Holy Spirit in the fall, uh, losing the likeness and then regaining the Holy Spirit is the work of theosis. Let's see. <clears throat> Thank you, Marco. Much appreciated that you would watch. What is what is? 27 pounds. How does an Orthodox have assurance of salvation? Well, you do and you don't. How does that actually, how does anybody, right? Because even the Protestants who believe in assurance of salvation, they actually also believe that they can be deceived, most of them. So you're in no better existential situation than anybody else. Um, so we have all those same texts that you have, but again, the question of course is we have to not delude ourselves because we know that we can delude ourselves, that our heart is deceitful. We can fall into pre-less. We can think, Oh, Oh, I'm special. Um, so we have assurance that we have participated in salvation. That's the point of things like baptism. The sacraments are uh, a condescension of God to our created reality. He's using matter. He's using stuff to you know the communion to remind us and and so that we can have a tangible uh connection to god um so in that sense we have assurance of participation in grace but whether we will all persevere remains to be seen um and so i think in a limited sense we could say yeah with augustine you know not everybody will have the grace of perseverance you know I'm not speaking in a strictly predestinarian sense. I'm just saying, loosely speaking, Augustine is correct in that idea. Bone Man 538199. The will hath two writers both return to source. Sounds like Neoplatonic stuff. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> uh, why has two writers? The will hath two writers, I guess, reason and the passions. Uh, I don't know. It's probably a quote from some text. I don't know. Um, both return to source. That, that sounds like Neoplatonic. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds like Neoplatonic mysticism. Like source energy yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, White Top, 1953, $2. Thank you, uh, White Top. Much appreciated. Um, I can't see this last one. Z Grom, 40As. Why does God have Adam and Eve go through this earthly mode rather than creating us to experience a different good in heaven from the outset. What did the Holy Father say? Why does God have Adam and Eve go through this earthly mode rather than creating us to experience? I don't, I don't fully understand your question. I'm sorry. I don't know what you mean by to experience a different quote, good in heaven from the outset. Um, the Holy Fathers say that Adam and Eve were created in a, a state of mutability so that they could be trained in virtue. And essentially we're all being, we're all in that same situation in a loose sense that we are having to learn to, as Maximus says, recapitulate the virtues in ourselves. So um, not trying to be a jerk. I just don't really fully understand the question. 
fresh whole well, milk. One of the, Go ahead. Can I say something? Sure. One of the things that I had never heard until I got into orthodoxy regarding Adam and Eve was like the tree, eating from the tree of knowledge was because they were in a sort of adolescent state. Yeah, it's not that the, the tree of knowledge was evil or anything like that. Right. It's because of where they are at in in the process of theosis, which was always the sort of soteriological purpose, the te- you know the teleological purpose of creation itself. I had never heard that before until I got into orthodoxy, and it, it totally gives a, a totally different context of everything than oh, God said don't do it. You disobeyed God. God has to punish you. Yeah. Uh... John, wait, fresh whole milk. Uh, yeah, I did a video on the protests. You can watch my protest video. Uh, put that up a couple of days ago. So we we won't go into that right now. But uh, thank you for your two ninety nine A's. Uh, you can watch my video on that. John John Nathan two dollars. What is the difference between what what differentiates orthodoxy from semi Pelagianism? This is kind of a complex question. Um, Orthodoxy didn't have the same disputes about grace that the West had. Uh, so sometimes you'll see like John Cassian and these kind of people will be said, well, these, these guys are semi-Pelagian. Um, it's complex because the East develops the doctrine of the energies, which becomes a faculty of nature. So nature can never lose its natural energy. So even fallen man can't lose his natural will and energy. It's still created. It's a created good. But this layer of anthropology will be lost in um, kind of in the Augustinian, post-Augustinian West, and then ultimately lost in Protestantism. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so there's not an, it's an easy, quick answer to why we're not semi-Pelagianism, except to say that the... Uh, Canons from the uh, some of the synods of Carthage are reaffirmed in Trollo, and so Trollo being reaffirmed at Nicaea too, you do have the acceptance of aspects. I, I wouldn't say that the whole, councils of Orange as a whole, all all of the theology of Orange is necessarily transferred into theology into Orthodoxy, but there's a little bit of uh, room for wiggle room here because. The Sixth Council does affirm that Donatus is a heretic, and it does affirm that Augustine is a church father. Fifth and Sixth Councils do. And then, so, technically, yes, semi-Pelagianism would also, in a way, be erroneous because we would deny that you don't, that you do anything apart from grace. But what we don't affirm is that the divine will or energy ever supplants destroys or overpowers the human will and energy right so we do affirm a distinction between nature and grace palamas says this consistently uh, but we don't think that they're in dialectical tension they're in symphonia and harmony so again the for us the fall never meant that man lost his natural will and energy it just, he lost the Holy Spirit and the uncreated divine life and was reduced to a natural state, Paul talks about. But even in the natural state, he retains the image of God. And part of the image of God is that human nature retains its own proper energy. So that's what's missing in dispute in the West after Augustine, because Augustine doesn't have these Eastern nuances. And that's why the debate gets really hairy and difficult, because 
it's not really in orthodoxy to think in that way because we always affirm synergy, even in conversion, there's synergy because of the way that the sixth council and Maximus will argue about the dispute with Pyrrhus, the two wills and the two energies in Christ. If Christ has human nature, then human nature must have its own will and energy. So there can't be bondage of the will like Luther says, All right, That's impossible. Anyway, that's a really complex question, but um, more or less what I'm saying is just that the, the um, roughly speaking, we don't affirm any of the heresies, uh, neither Donatism nor Pelagianism. Uh, and if you look at the, the Council of Trollo, the Canons of Trollo, and, which are affirming Carthage, you could, I'm getting, sorry, I'm getting tired, so I'm getting kind of like rambly. You could argue that we also don't affirm semi-Pelagianism, but we also don't think in the terms of semi-Pelagianism. So that's why it was never an issue in the East. All right, I'm getting a little too tired. I'm going to have to do these these other ones later, but um, thank you. <laughs> I drove like 10 hours yesterday. So, Oh, did you? How was mm-hmm. vacation? Good. You, beach life, treat you well? Mm-hmm. I just got a splitting headache. I apologize. No, it's all good, brother. All right, everybody, follow. Uh, uh, yeah, David. And uh, yeah, Church of the Eternal Logos. Church of the Eternal Check out my his, website. I've got his link there. there. I've got his link. So everybody, follow. Uh, follow yeah, thanks him. for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll have to f- do the second half sometime. All right. God bless. All right. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.